Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. They say people don't believe in podcasts anymore. Well, damn them. You and me, Max, we're going to give them back their podcasts. <laughs> now, here's what I want to ask you right away. How bad is your Australian accent? Yeah, yeah, How can it be so fine. bad? It's fine. I worked on it a lot. It's fine. Your accent's fine. It's a, it's, it's, yeah. You're Question you're going to ask me. I clinking glass. Un, the I'm unrated sorry. extended edition of Big Mama's colon like father like son. Sure, the third film in the franchise. What do you think the subtitle was for the unrated edition? You know how it's sort of yeah, like yes, you know, of course. too hot for school. Unrated or, and out of control. Right, exactly. Right. Um, is, does now, it, let me tell you, it's six minutes longer. It's six. A gentleman's six minutes longer and they're six rowdy minutes. <laughs> they're rowdy. Okay, I have to assume it's some play on the word dress. You're wrong. Really? Think think stupider. Think what's Is it the, size? Is it no, size? No, but what's based? like what's the name of the movie? B- bigger? Yeah, but the other word? Mama? So can you do something with that? Here we go. Mom rated? It's the motherload edition. Oh. I think that's bad. I think all the other things I guessed are funnier. Um, I, yeah, I agree with you, but I think with that one, they decided to not take the, uh, let's go with the funniest option. A lot of the times I think like undressed and unrated is, yeah, here's the thing. Apparently it mostly just adds a dance sequence. Like it claims it's unrated, but it doesn't actually add offensive material. They just add deleted scenes that are like, you can add anything and right, say it's and unrated. Say like, it's unrated. Cause you didn't submit it. You to never the submitted NBA. it. And so they can be like, Oh, it's out of control. And like, what's out of control is that their editor was not there. I don't like, like, I don't, you know, anyway, it's out of control. This sequence is very self-indulgent. It's right, current shape. Exactly. Anyway, uh, can you tell me the final domestic gross of Big Mama's like, you know what? Actually, let's do uh, the box office game for Big Mama's calling like father, like son, because we don't have one for Mad Max. We don't. And Guys, we were talking about Martin Lawrence's career. David and I got in two fights. We Yeah, over the quality of Bad Boys, which I think is Bad Boys not one a very is good. good movie. Right. I think Bad Boys 2 and 3 are both better, but I think Bad Boys 1 is good. I also think that Martin Lawrence is entering a new era and you dismiss that immediately. Uh, yeah, I'm more just like, no, I think he'll be in bad boys movies and otherwise we'll relax. But It'd be hanging my out. point was he hasn't done good work in a long time until the last 12 months. He's right, done you're two saying good that films, the combo two really of him good performances. And Beach Bum and Bad Boys is yeah. the beginning of something where I, I'm like total aberration. I, you know, you <laughs> know why like I, when Brady Anderson hit all those home runs this that is, one year. This is why I don't think it's an aberration. And these are going to be boiling hot takes by the time this episode comes out. Right? Put on gloves. We're recording this on Martin Luther King Day. Bad Boys for Life is ripping up the box it office, is. right? It is. One of, the, one of the classic, it overperformed studio estimates. Yes. Uh, you know, yeah. And I saw it Friday night in Times Square and it played like fucking cheap trick at Budokan. Yeah, People were losing me. their fucking minds. And I texted you and I said, the only thing I can equate this to was going to see Fast Ampersand Furious right. opening weekend where yeah. it felt like this movie was like and Obviously that's too what Will late. Smith is glomming off oh, of. Yeah, when I you mean. see it, not only that, I mean, Deadline actually reported that like he had a hand in the script and he was like, let's do a Fast and Furious type thing. Everything about it right. is so Fast and Furious right. where it's like, it is so in conversation. I mean, it was written by Dominic Toretto. He's it credited. was written by Dominic Toretto. Dominic Toretto, come at WGA. Vroom, vroom. <laughs> but it, it, it so much is in that vein. There's an end credit stinger that is totally ripped yeah. from like Fast Five. Yeah. Um, 
it's it's totally in that mode and it's the thing i realized watching this in theaters which i felt watching ampersand was like oh i didn't realize to how many people this movie is like a classic because yes, they were responding to it as it if is. it was yeah. like the force awakens uh, yeah you know and ampersand is where i got into fast and furious and it was almost because i was like oh i didn't realize i cared about these previous movies mm-hmm. Felt the same way watching Bad Boys for Life. Okay. Very effective film. But the point I was going to make mm. is everyone was taken back by how good Martin Lawrence was in Beach Bum. And I think part of that was, oh, this is him in a totally different gear. Right. Right. You're used to like the manic motor mouth, really like sort of anxious Martin Lawrence and the like the chilled out sort of like more at peace with himself Martin Lawrence. That was the bit of the movie though, I will say. The bit being it's like weirdo people kind of doing almost cameo yeah. like characters. Totally. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So like, that that I view, I go, he's great in this, but maybe that's an aberration. Yeah. But then I see Bad Boys for Life where they've sort of retrofitted the movie around the fact that Martin Lawrence isn't who Martin Lawrence was in the nineties. And rather than what I was worried about, where it's just going to be like, Oh fuck. It's old Martin Lawrence, not keeping up with his old game. Right. Instead it's new Martin Lawrence in a similar vein. as I Beach re- Bum, And I'm like, I, I kind of like this. I mean, I haven't seen it yet. Martin. So I, I, if you rewind bad boys too, he also is like that. But, but I think bad boys too. You're like, maybe he's lost his fastball. I think you're no, watching so- this and you're like, no, Martin's playing golf now. Like, that's my analogy. All right. He's, he can't pitch anymore. Great, great way to start a new miniseries. Well, and before we move on, yeah. I just think that if he doesn't want to maybe do movies, I'd be cool with bringing Martin back. The show. The show. Oh, the show. The show was so good. I mean, it was. Br- but- Br- unite the... The gang, uh, especially the cast member who sued him for sexual harassment. Yeah, never wants to say, to like, we again. might have to leave that in the past as Martin Lawrence has decided yeah. to do. Oh, yeah. right. Old <laughs> Martin, let the past die, Lawrence. I mean, Gina Arnold is doing great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Anyway, maybe anyway. bring back as an audio drama. Anyway, anyway. New miniseries. Miniseries. Yeah. Hello, everybody. This is Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David Sims. And this is, of course, a podcast about filmographies. Directors who have massive success early on in their career are given a series of blank checks, so to speak. Yeah. To make whatever crazy passion products they want. Right. And sometimes those checks clear. Right. And sometimes they bounce. Vroom, vroom. Sure. Vroom. This is yeah. a miniseries on the films of George Miller. Yes. Mad Pod Fury, Fury cast. cast. That's what we're going for. Done. Yes. You don't get to weigh in on this you one. You don't. Because we're keeping this one a secret from you, my I guess. Pa- my pause wasn't trying to remember that. What I was trying to remember is, I think... Uh, George Miller has been given some sort of order by the Australian government. Oh, I'm, I'm sure forgetting what has. the letters he are. He is an AO, uh, which an is A-O. The, or the Order of Australia. Like, is that the like Aust- being knighted? Kind yeah, of. It's or their like version the OBE, of an, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is like, you know, not for full knighting, but like you've done a pretty good job. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, huh. so he's gotten sort of the the similar you know, governmental recognition of his artistic it's contribution. Like an it's like Isn't yes. Australia kind of like like still... Like related to the United Kingdom in some way. Uh, the, we had we have the same monarch. The Queen is we? the Queen of Australia. What do you mean we? Huh? How did I actually walk into that? <laughs> For how much you hate this bit, it is incredible how dumb you are. 
And I think you're an incredibly intelligent man. How dare you? I think you are an incredibly intelligent, both in terms of knowledge, emotional intelligence. Really smart guy. But you always just fucking lob it up for us like a slip and slide. You lay it out. It's it's an inherent part of my fucking existence. But you can't hide it. You could not have worded that better for us. Australia has the same monarch, the queen, Queen Elizabeth, is also the queen of Australia. Obviously, Australia once belonged to the, thankfully, mostly defunct British Empire. Mm -hmm. And it it is a prison. uh, It was used as a prison prison Oh, but I mean, of course, before then, it was a land unconquered with Mm. its own peoples who Mm -hmm. lived happily or lived, lived their lives before we arrived and were like, I'm getting a good prison vibe from this old island. Maybe we could put some prisoners here. Quick question. What do you mean we? I grew up in England. I'm a British citizen. Um, I should say, I think the Dutch arrived in Australia first. I don't actually know all of its um, colonial history. But, you know, anyway, it is is part of the Commonwealth, which is like the group of nations that is governed. Got the queen queen. on that. That's on that money. It's kind of crazy how the UK just rolled in and we're like, nah, this isn't a country anymore. This is just a UK spinoff. It's (laughs) you don't get to have your own country anymore. This is now just called UK colon jail (laughs) as if it was like CSI Miami. It is. How terrible. Well, How also terrible like Australia, you know, it's like Terra Australis, which means in Latin, like Southern land. Uh-huh. And it was just, they were just like, what should we call it? And they're like, I don't know. Southern Island, Southern land. Is that fine? And everyone was just like, yep, sounds good. Okay, High also, five. Can you bring over 10,000 prisoners? People are so bad. Like, can we turn this into the planet from Alien 3? It's, it's very strange to think about it that it was just like well it's so far away yeah they won't be able to come back because it's so fucking far away so uh (laughs) option shows like let's not even figure out what else we could do with this place when you start digging into that history too it gets so bad Oh, it's terrible because then it was all this all these men mm-hmm. and they needed something to do or they were going to revolt mm-hmm. and so then they started sending like i is concubine like inappropriate to say but i guess that's essentially what it was uh I, one of my favorite movies of 2019 the nightingale yes, very jennifer much about kent is a film that is uh, a really excellent film about sort of the the ghosts of colonization. I believe, is that set in Tasmania? I believe it is. I need to. I think it is. I think that's in Van right. Diemen's Land. Yes. Ta- yes. yes. Yeah, but, it, but it is a, it is a very yeah. parallel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. Now, before we get into Mad Max, just had this thought. Sure. I've been getting down with my man, Paul Hollywood. On the reg, okay? What? You tried to bring up Paul Hollywood on another podcast. I remember this, and we yeah. were so deep in other, that we were like, Ben, what? No, I can't right. even we, we can't bring it to Paul Hollywood. But he's a, not Australian, so no, what? I know, okay, but it's right, okay, fine, so right. I'm watching. We should we mention that we're on home turf right now. Oh, we, right. We are at... Small Fine. Small Fine, which is Ben's apartment. Yeah. Of course, David has moved. He now lives in Little Nicer. Which is smaller than Big Nice, you, but a little nicer. You haven't officially dubbed it that yet, but that is the the on deck title, at least. Like that's the sort of. I'm waiting for confirmation when I see it with my own eyes. Ben, of course, lives in small fine. I live in medium messy, and <laughs> that it's pretty well sized. It's too messy for me to ever allow anyone to come over. I have shot I down two different records. I wonder if I'll ever maybe see at some point. The other question: Will I ever get shelves? <laughs> I don't know. You can hire someone to mysteries. just handle it for you. I know. That's sort of, I've been working towards that. Yeah, just a contractor. Yeah. Just get someone in for a day. I don't know. Yeah. I know a guy. 
I think I found a guy. Okay. okay. It's just hard to talk to people. Oh, sure. When there's not a mic around. <laughs> and it's not about movies. Maybe I have to structure it as a podcast and then I can get the measurement. That is a fucking genius idea, Griffin. Yeah. You should start a podcast where you just have to accomplish like life tasks. life tasks. But you make the episodes about it. I have a guest on. I'm like, so how how does one build shelves? Right. And then the end of the episode and they're is like, them. You need to find a stud. Right. You know, like, how do, how do you find out if you're healthy or not? Right. And then you just go right. to the doctors. No, my guest would be a doctor. They would make a house call. That's the thing. I do it from home. I book guests and ask them, so how do you do this in your profession? And then they just fix me. Okay. Okay. So okay. Paul, Paul Hollywood, Hollywood been watching it's the hell out of some episode. British yeah. Bake Off. Great show. They've got so many weird words that, and like where I'm literally just like, they just said a string of sounds that I don't know what they're saying. Wait a second. What do you mean they? Well, you know, like you didn't Brits, grow up like in Britain, the, the people across the pond, if you will. Oh boy, I can't even relate. I know. I can't either. I don't what know do you think who they look, look like. I mean, oof. Different. If I saw one, I would know it immediately. Yeah, I know. I I feel like I would sense, or maybe I don't know. Would they smell? I don't know. I All right. Anyway, have... what's your point of about? Hollywood? I do think though that Australians be, beat them with weird words. Like, oh, sure. Just for they example, have, yeah. and this is my favorite. Yeah. Little kangaroos are called joeys. Uh, yeah. Yes. See, I know Named that's, after Matt LeBlanc. I've known that yeah, since I was a little yeah. kid because my brother's name Talk is Joey. Talk about spinoffs. That's, that's why they called them that. Because they were like, oh, kangaroo spun off another kangaroo, damn it. What do we call that? And they're like, best spinoff of all time, Joey. In, it. in Australia, if nothing else. Uh, got a fascinating country. Would love to visit it. Yeah. Wish it was like a slightly shorter flight. That's always been my hang up. It's a long ass flight. I bit twice. Yeah, well, congratulations. Where have you been? I went. I think you've told me this. I went once for Tick Press. Right. Jesus. That's was crazy. Exhausting. No shit. Um, but you were only there for like 48 hours or whatever, right? Like you, you were out of there pretty fast. Well, you know, I mean, the bummer is I was like, it was the end of the press tour. Yeah. And I was like, I think went from LA to London to Australia. There's no way you did that. That's no, way I did too London long. to yeah. LA to yeah. Australia. Yeah. Yeah. So it was New York. Right. That's, right. The, that's the, you know. LA is from where you can get to Australia. Yeah. But uh, I I was filming something else in uh, Steve Coogan's Hot Air. Hey. Massively successful. It's coming out movie. this year, I believe. It came out a year ago. No one who, who noticed. All right. Uh, but was filming that, then went to London, mm -hmm. then went to LA, then did press there, London press, Australian press. And I was like, if this is the last thing, can I please, like, can you make my return flight later and can you give me two extra nights in a hotel? So I actually can like enjoy Australia. Yeah. And I was so wiped that I right. barely, right. I wandered around a little bit anyway. Um, and then I, my, one of my best friends in, uh, uh, middle school moved to Australia. Right. That's you told me that. And I went to visit him when I was in high school. Um, it's a very long flight. Very long. It's the longest flight you can do LA to Sydney. It, it feels so exotic. Like I really do want to go. That's a place I just, I'm dying to go. Australia. I, I like it a lot. Yeah. I think it's really cool. Um, David, you in college studied Australian film, not exclusively. No, 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 my friend. No, no, no. Uh, you, you remember basically correctly, but um, it was New Zealand film. It was an oh, even more niche okay. uh, brand of cinema. I studied it because I had a crush on someone who was taking it. Humble brag. Yeah, I've talked about it on the podcast. We had to bleep her name because her name is so funny. Oh, right. If you want to oh, do yeah. it again, we yeah. can. Can but you we say don't it again? Have... Yeah, do it. 
I wanted to make sure I wasn't remembering it. Who I believe is now married and has changed her name. But and anyway. I want to make something very clear without giving any greater clues. We're not laughing at her name like, it's, oh, that name's stupid. No, it's no. not a stupid name. It's just hilarious and very apropos that I would have had a crush on someone named uh, that. It is, it is the funniest name for David to have a crush on. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Did she uh, marry into the family? <laughs> no, well, you, you have to bleep, no, you have that, to bleep that because that gives it away. Yeah, You have to bleep that, but that's also really funny. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And no. Anyway, so I took a New Zealand cinema class, which was great. Because this would come up in film trivia a lot. You would get a lot of obscure right. sort of exploitation New Zealand-based films. Right, but that right. was, we ne- we did not actually study okay. any Australian. Okay. But of course they are related and they do have similar uh Genre, you know, like obviously yes. the sort of Western influence on both, uh, you know, the kind of open prairies mm-hmm. of Australia makes sense. You mm-hmm. know, New Zealand also made a lot hobbits. of road movies and stuff like that. A lot of hobbits, obviously. Hobbits. But no, we did not study Australian film, which is a little more uh, robust. There's more of it, I feel like. Sure. I mean, New Zealand made a lot of great movies for such a small country. Yes. Population um, size. But Australia has produced a lot of uh well, a lot, a lot of great actors and, of, of course, plenty of filmmakers. But, but a lot of, especially in the 80s and 90s, a lot of Australian filmmakers coming to Hollywood mm-hmm. and making big careers, uh, including Philip Noyce, who was uh, somewhat of a Miller, not protege. Philip Noyce, but, Baz, but yeah, worked with Baz Luhrmann, yes. Peter Weir. Yes. These are all guys working at the same time. Well, Berlurman's a little later, yeah. using the same talent, you know, yeah. you know, like... There, it's a it's a whole little universe. Mm-hmm. I, who else am I? Am I forgetting someone obvious? Those are the ones that immediately come. Those to are mind. the immediates. Because there's a lot of other like isn't PJ Hogan? You know, Muriel's wedding obviously right. was a big Australian. Is Jane hit. Campion New Zealand or is yeah, she PJ Hogan. Yeah. No, no, Jane Campion's New Zealand. She's right, crown jewel of New okay, Zealand. Right. Yeah. Um. Obviously, we studied her in my New Zealand yeah. cinema class. Um. You know, and then of course you have. We can't forget Paul Hogan. Uh, oh, Bruce Beresford. That's another one. Mm-hmm. He made like Breaker Moran and Tender Mercies yes. and Driving Miss yes. Daisy and movies like that. Uh, there's so many. Jillian Armstrong. Yes. Uh, Our director yep. of the original, not the original, the, original, but the 90s. The little 90s of the women. Yeah. Um, so there's that. There's those types. Yes. And then there's the Ozploitation type. The Cars That Ate Paris. Like the movies like sure. that. These like, which George Miller comes out of. But then... You got this guy who kind of bridges the two. Yeah, he is the two. Yeah, you, you have this guy, this one sort of very anomalous filmmaker in many ways. Right, right, right. Who is a Greek immigrant, first generation Australian. Oh, sure, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, with three brothers. Mm-hmm. I think maybe all four of them go to medical school. That might be. Uh, he, yeah. But George Miller certainly he, goes. He to has a twin school. brother. They yes. both went to medical school. Right. One of his younger brothers becomes his pretty permanent producing partner for the last fifteen years, mm, and mm. the fourth brother also worked with him on the early films. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I believe you. I believe at least one of his brothers also went to medical school. Um, yeah, but his dad, you're right, was from Kytheria in Greece. Uh, Mil- uh, his name was Dimitri Milotis. Mm-hmm. And they anglicized that to Miller. Uh, and then the, the mom was also Greek refugees from Anatolia, disrupted in the, in the 20s by the population exchange. And they moved to Australia, which was, I think, a country where it's like the great unknown. Let's go make a life, right? The other side of the world. Now, there's one thing I couldn't figure out. And I kept on looking for any anecdote about what the activation moment is. But mm. when he goes from being 
a medical student and a doctor to starting to make experimental films on the side. It sounds like he was making short films yeah. while he was in medical school. He made a short, a one minute short that yeah. won some student competition. Then he went to a film workshop at Melbourne University. Right. That's when he starts to get more That's serious. where he meets Byron yeah. Kennedy. Right. And, and, Kennedy was- and that's all while he's still in medical school. Yeah. He graduates. He completes his res- residency in 1972. And that year they found Kennedy Miller, the yeah. you know production company. And so, yeah, his first work was Violence in Cinema Part One. Which I desperately tried to find. But it's a 20 minute short film that starts out as a sort of like academic lecture on the nature of violence in films where he's showing like clips and talking about the way we process violence. And then the film is this meta thing where then violence starts happening to the professor professor. Right. Right. And people were so freaked out by it. They thought it was real. They thought it was a documentary. They thought it was like a snuff film. It has sort of a snuff film vibe. Right. And it had this very controversial reputation. It played at a bunch of festivals, but it gets distribution from an Australian distribution company. Um, And they say, and he didn't even realize distribution was a thing. He didn't realize there was a pathway to be able to make films. You know, it, it seemed like a very um, uh, unattainable thing. And they said, you know, if you had a feature, we would distribute that too. And the origin of Mad Max is in 1971, this distribution company, who I'm forgetting the name of, say to George Miller and Byron Kennedy, if you had a feature, we would distribute this. And eight, nine years later, they come up with Mad Max. And for a movie that feels so much I'm trying to find the name, like but two guys going, let's just make a movie tomorrow. You know, not that it, you could set it up overnight, but Mad Max is so primal and so spare that it feels like something that they rush to the finish line. I watched, we pushed back the release, the, the release, the recording of this episode because I found in my Mad Max box set, there is a two hour and 40 minute documentary. Do you, I have this, is the Blu-ray box set? I have that there one with two. eight discs. Okay. There's the high octane That's collection. the one I have. Okay. Yeah. So that's the one where there's a DVD. It is in standard def. Oh, for the extras you mean? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah, it's yeah. its own disc and it's called The Madness of Max. And it's two hours and 40 minutes just on the first movie. Cool. Uh, which I have watched very freshly. But sure. why is it high octane? Can you watch it really fast? Well, you can. Okay. That's an option. Cool. The actual answer is they released a box set after Fury Road where they were like, finally, they're all together, <laughs> and they left off a bunch of special features. Mm. So then they re-released it six months later, and we're like, never mind, here's the actual one. And it still feels like it's not as good and comprehensive as it should be. Well, because there's tricky rights with two, I forget. There's something weird about it. The first one is the one that MGM has taken. Yeah. The other three are owned by Warner, Warner Brothers, Brothers, at least in terms of distribution. Yeah, they are. Um, but I think some, it, it feels like they've never gotten the proper restorations they deserve. This one is the rawest looking. Yes. Yeah. So how did he get the name Hollywood? Did he pick it? I believe. Does he come from the Hollywood family? Insanely, it's his name. That's ridiculous. Like, is that a Paul Hollywood again? Yeah, his yeah. dad is John it Hollywood. Said, like, it says just like, no, you know, like, that can't be real. It is. And he's just from like Cheshire or something. He's just like an English kid. Because on this Wikipedia, he was from, like, on the like a, a genealogist, like, you know, like yeah. tracing your roots kind of show on right. BBC. I'm like, right, right. did they address the fact that his last name is Hollywood? I mean, but like, what is the etymology of Hollywood? Like, is it just a a wood of holly trees? Like, it's not that complicated. As we all know, it was originally called Hollywood Land. Well, the, the, the real estate that the thing is marking was called Hollywood Land, but the neighborhood had been called Hollywood before. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Mr. Hollywood over. Uh, they built that, like it was called Nopalera, when, like, which means cactus field, I think, or something okay. like that. Um, you know, before we fucking showed up and we're like, great place to make movies. This is movie town. Wait a second. I'm sorry. What do you mean? Wait, white people. Oh, okay. <laughs> that um, one ain't a spoiler guys. Yeah. Okay, no, no, well, I don't, you know, um, uh, I don't it know. It reminded me of how he came up. Uh-huh. Uh, reminded me of Bigelow in that it was like bit. an academic approach to sort of very violence much. in cinema. Very much. I, I was going to make the key comparison. to him is yeah. that he's very academic yeah. Yeah. and much like Bigelow. It's like, he's a guy who starts out sort of deconstructing the thing. Sure. And then figures out how to make, he's very academic, but he makes violent genre movies. Right. Cause he's like, but that's how you get seen. Right. Well, yeah. but here's the other part of it. The other mm. part of it is he was in medical school. He was dealing with mm. horrible. Accidents. That's the Verhoeven kind of thing that's where he's Verhoeven-y like, he's got thing. the weird creepy, like, right. Yeah. And not in the way where he was like desensitized to it, like for Hoven, where it's like none of this matters. It's the opposite thing almost where he spent so much time looking at injuries and dealing with the repercussions of accidents people had. And so much of Bad Max comes out of like his sort of perverse fascination seeing the aftermath of car accidents. You know, and and also working with other people, you know, ambulance drivers, people who are telling him accounts of what they found, what states people were in, having to stitch people right. up. I mean, all these sorts of things. He he was, uh, you know, in addition to sort of his fascination with violence, not as much as the act of violence as the actual effect the violence has on a human body. Um, he also just sort of couldn't get over having to deal with the business end of car accidents, the idea that people are putting themselves in such dangerous situations all the time, you know, and he made this point, I think Byron Kennedy, this, this documentary is actually really good. If a it. little basic in terms of how it's constructed, but sure. it's so comprehensive. It's just kind of taking you through every step of it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And every like chapter heading has like, and then there's like graphics of like <laughs> new, new words popping up, like driving onto the screen saying like post-production. Right. I get you. With get burnt you. rubber underneath. Right. But they have all these really good audio recordings of Byron Kennedy talking because Byron Kennedy tragically died, yeah, died in, in a helicopter accident. I believe 83. Yes. A helicopter crash. Don't get in those things. Do not. But, but this was sort Unless of. Unless you're what's your pants from Uncut Gems. Then you got to. Julia Fox. Right. I, mean, uh, I couldn't remember the character's name, but. I believe her character's name is Julia. Julia, I think you're right. Yes. Um, this was the point uh, I was going to make, and I forget whether it's Byron Kennedy or George Miller who says this in the documentary, but the thing that they were so obsessed with was uh, it's crazy how much damage a car can cause. Right. How much damage you to can the cause human to body, someone else, right. how much damage you can car. cause to yourself. Yeah. All of this, yeah. it happens on a pretty regular basis. Yeah. At this time in Australia, it was happening a lot, and people aren't afraid of them. Right. on a day-to-day basis in the way they should be, in the way that they are of other things. Griffin is making, I mean, this is speaking to Griffin. But, Very afraid oh, of cars. This is why I love the Mad Max films. Right, right, right. but, but the idea, like, you know, you go like, oh, helicopters, obviously don't get in a helicopter. That's what happens. But cars don't have that kind of stigma around them, despite how high the stakes truly are. Even if the odds aren't overwhelming, it's it's still high stakes yeah. and a, a uncomfortably high probability. Um. So he's stewing on all of that. He's stewing on the way the violence is depicted in films and he's stewing on sort of the American cinema and that Australian film either seems to be really sort of trashy exploitation stuff. Yeah. Gonzo stuff. Yeah. Or 
is is fairly sort of like highbrow Tony art movies. Right. Yes. It's it's kind of more BBC esque yes. fair. Yeah. When did Walkabout come out? What a great movie. It's I my believe dad's it's nineteen seventy two. Yep. It's a great book too. I highly recommend reading the book. Uh, 1971, I'm sorry. That's Nicholas Rogue. That's another, you know. Um, yeah. He's he's British. I believe. Yeah, he's not Australian. That's a great film about Australia, but not made from the Australian film industry. But that know? is that oh, is part of sure, the earlier, sure, sure. like, quote unquote, Australian new wave. Right. right? Stork, which yes. has, um, what's his pants? Um, Bruce Spence. That's one of those. Uh, oh, you mean the driver captain? Exactly. Tian exactly. Midon from Revenge of the Sith. Exactly. But an interesting trivia fact. Um, but but like what Peter Weir does Adventures once Mel Gibson McKenzie, becomes big, doing go. like Gallipoli and You're Living Dangerously and yep. all those films are like sort of more what comes out of Australia That's and carries 80s, over. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, You're Living Dangerously is so good. Yes. Peter, why don't we do him? Come Peter on. Weir? He Come was on. in the bracket last year. He was, I know but you he got love thumped. Him. I love yeah. him so much. I love him. He's a weird one. Sure. He's Ours a weird one. Mr. Weir? I don't know what I'm doing. So, George Miller's like stewing all of this, right? They do the short film. Um, it it gets interest. They're told they could get distribution if they made a feature. He sits down with a guy who's his co-writer on this film. I forget his name if you have it in front of you. Oh, on this film? Yeah, James yes. McCausland. Right. Who was a buddy of his who was not a film student. <laughs> who was an American expat um, living in Australia. But that was the guy who he liked talking about movies with. He was pretty much a drinking buddy. I forget what he did for an occupation, but it was totally outside of everything. And he said, I want to make a movie. Like, I'm going to sit down with a guy who I like talking about movies with, and let's talk about what we like about movies. And so they sit down and just have that talk, much like every conversation that we've ever had. Right. Right? And they're just breaking down elements of what they like. And they talk about the thing that I feel like at this point in time hadn't been uh, sort of identified that clearly. Okay. Years later, Spielberg would own this and say that this was his design, but that he was trying to make movies that were only the good bits. You know, he always said that about Rares the Lost Ark, that he and George Lucas said, what if you could make a movie that was just the most exciting scenes in every other movie without the boring shit in between? Uh, and now, of course, when you watch Rage of the Lost Ark, it plays like fucking Satan Tango, where you're like, this is so slow and ruminative. Right. And you also feel like the destructive force of other <laughs> yeah, movies uh, taking that uh, lesson in the wrong direction. Percent, right. I mean, because that's the difference is someone like George Miller or Steven Spielberg, even if they go, I'm only going to do the exciting parts, have, have too much storytelling integrity and, in their bones that they can't make something totally devoid. They do. Although I will say like Mad Max, you watch that and then you see Mad Max, you see the road warrior yes. number two, you are like, Oh, I see where he's just like, great. Let's pair even further down. Totally. Let's communicate character very simply. Like, yes. right. Like, like how, how economical can we right. get this? Yes. Um, but so he's sitting with this guy. They're coming up with that. He's talking about the sort of like, you know, car anxiety. Yeah. And the original pitch for the film was it was going to be a present day movie about a journalist. It almost sounds a little bit nightcrawler esque about someone who's following the aftermath of, of the car, car crashes yeah, yeah. to report on them. That is a little nightcrawlery. So he goes about writing that. He works on that for like six to nine months and is like, fuck, this doesn't work. It should be a cop. It should be someone who's chasing after trying to prevent it, trying to like, you know, sort of control this works on that for six to nine months is like it doesn't it feels weird it's too overcranked. it feels too exaggerated mm. for me to do the things visually i want to do and then he goes i can't set it present day 
So it's like a three-step process sure. with two failed screenplays where it was like, first I need to figure out what this guy's relationship mm-hmm. is to the auto-destruction. And then it was, you know what? I need to make a world around this so I can get the energy in my head. So he's drawing from the, there had been a big oil crisis in Australia mm-hmm. in 1973. Uh, and like that had caused all these riots and these fights at gas stations and stuff like that. So they're like, oh, okay, let's talk about peak oil, right? The world running out of energy, the world, right? You know, the apocalypse. But for a movie that you could believe watching it, like, oh, this was a byproduct of like Rocky style, him locking himself in a room for three days and banging the whole script out. That the first draft was like some years for them to develop, raise the money. The film is entirely independently financed. They went to the Victorian film board at first. And there was like, they, they, as Miller says, they were just making arty movies and this wasn't their kind of movie. Absolutely not. So what Miller and Candy started doing after years of film to get this up anywhere is they start going to a lot of their doctor buddies. And they raised the movie through independent capital, $400,000. I believe they also did like emergency medical calls themselves. And like Miller would be the doctor and Kennedy would drive the car and they would raise independent funds that way. Yeah. It cost. They're both still working as doctors. I believe it cost. Not not Kennedy, but uh, Kennedy was driving him. Yeah. But I believe the the movie cost like 400 Australian or 400,000 Australian dollars. Yeah. And it was totally independent. By the time they get all the money, the Victorian film board comes back to them and offers to put up the money. Right. And at that point, they said, like, we've gotten this and now we have no oversight. Yeah, we can like, do they realized we we've sort of circumvented the system. It took right. us a long time. Yeah. But now no one's going to give us any notes. We're not going to have anyone trying to censor us. We feel an enormous responsibility to make back the money that we've taken from people. No, of course. Yeah, but yeah, that's yeah, the so. only impetus. And so we want to have something that's going to play. And we want a thing that can cross over in a way that Australian films usually do not. Um, his script is 260 pages long. That's crazy. But now, whatever. Now what's nuts is very often it's like, oh, there was never like a shooting draft. We, we talk about this when people go like the first draft was 500 pages and you're like, you vomited out 500 yeah, pages. Right. That and wasn't a draft. With it. Right. By all accounts, that 260 page draft is essentially what they shot. But it is because it's not that they cut stuff out. It is because he was so verbose in describing every single element. I believe also when they were, yeah, because they had like storyboarded lots of it when they were raising the money, they were like, here's what it's going to look like. They had a lot of pre, yeah, they put a lot of effort into what it would look like. And that was like a little bit of naivete. probably the only way you could make this fucking movie. That's the thing. With no money. On one hand, it's naivete to be like, no one wants to read this much. But on the other hand, the thing is so sparse and primal and the tone and the energy is, of what he's trying to do is so bizarre and is so unprecedented at this point that especially to friends of his who aren't in the industry who he's taking money from, they were like, you read this thing and there was clearly something in it. Like there was a thing that he was able to convey in the way he wrote the script that you knew just no matter what happens in production, they can't beat this thing out of it. You know, there's, there's some heart here. There's some weird vital organ. Um, so yes, they, they have the money. They go hire a casting director and go, look, we don't have any money. Who are the people coming out of drama school? There was that. That's how they found Mel, right? And uh, Bisley, is that his name, plays Goose? Yeah, Steve Bisley. Right, who is Mel Gibson's best friend. And the urban legend is always that Mel Gibson wasn't even an actor and he didn't even want to be in the movie. He showed up giving someone a ride. Right, exactly. Which I think it is true that he was not called in at first and he gave Bisley a ride, but he was a drama student. He was, and they they were looking for a spunky young guy. Well, and And I think Mel is probably 
canny enough that he knew. But the the big part of the urban legend is he'd gotten in a bar fight the night before, and so right, he so walks he in like, looking like shit. Right, right, right. And immediately they were like, "This guy feels dangerous." Um, Judy Davis, apparently, you know, well known actress now, yes. uh, yeah, auditioned and was passed over. Mm-hmm. But Miller says that's not true. She was just hanging out with Mel Gibson, and like she didn't audition. Yeah, seem it does seem like one of those movies where everyone probably has a story with like, oh yeah. You know, I definitely was in the running, you know, like whatever. But it is a thing a where they're of, mostly pulling from like Australian theater and Australian drama small, school as opposed well, to. But a lot of the cast is from a movie called Stone. Yes. An exploitation biker movie that Miller adores, that Quentin Tarantino adores. That Hugh B's current. Hugh Keysburn. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, and Roger Ward and Vincent Gill. Like a lot of yeah. people who are villains in this had, were, had been in that. And so Miller was like, well, that's the vibe. It's like a biker movie. Yeah. That's the vibe I want. So you're going to be great. Uh, Hugh Keysburn was like a Shakespeare company guy. And I think continued to be. Yes. Like after this. But he, uh, they showed this in the documentary. He did a production, a like very popular, uh, impactful production of uh, Streetcar Named Desire. Where uh, he played Stanley Kowalski. Where they show the photo. Sure, and sure. And you yeah. wish you could fucking see that. Right, 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 right. And his Blanche was Jackie Weaver. Hey. They don't call it out, but they just show a photo yeah, of like the right, playbill right, right. and it's fucking toe cutter and Smurf from Animal Kingdom doing streetcar together, which must have been. Have you seen Animal amazing. Kingdom? It's no. a real Ben oh. movie. Australian mob movie. Oh. Okay. Oh, Ben. Ben Mendelsohn in Animal Kingdom. Uh, Jackie oh, Weaver. That's when Ben Mendelsohn. That was when he pops out. Yeah. And then, of course, they turned it into everybody's favorite TNT show that's fully on the air. It's season five. How many seasons have they made? Three, four? I want to say maybe a fourth is coming, like three or four. Let's see. Four seasons. Four seasons of the Animal Kingdom. It's TV been show. renewed for a fifth. But it's one I, I rarely watch TNT, but when basketball playoffs or anytime, you know, we, we watch TNT, they have basketball. Oh, okay. And like, so anytime you watch that, they're just like, TNT's great lineup. For example, Animal Kingdom. This year, Dennis Leary's in it. I'm like, no, he's not. That's made up. You made it all up. It's all made up. Well, There's no such thing. It's one of those fucking things where like, I don't know if this is still a case, but when you're like, for 10 years. I'm not kidding. Ellen Barkin and Scott Speedman are the stars of it. No, I, they're not. I think she got nominated for a Gold Globe at some point. <laughs> it's possible. Um, I believe it's, Ellen Barkin is Smurf. Is the is correct? The, uh, but I Jackie believe Weaver. she's no longer on the show. I think that a lot of them are now dead. Yes, because you know, in the Animal up. Kingdom, sometimes Growl. right. Um, Dennis Leary will come for you. It's but is Dennis Leary playing the Guy Pierce character? Maybe I don't, I don't know. know. She did not get a Golden Globe nomination. By are the you way. sure? You, yeah, you were shooting too high. It's gotten two Saturn nods. Oh, and one motion picture sound editor okay. nod. That's it. Those are its awards. Um. What I was going to say is it's that stat, which I don't know if it's still the case, but that for like 10 plus years, USA was far and away the highest rated cable channel. Oh, yeah, because they had burn notice. All these shows that like fall into this In category. In sight. Th- that doesn't exist. Do you know the anyone who's watched this? Royal Pains? Yeah. Now, the thing about Royal Pains. These guys are Royal Pains. Yeah. yeah. And Political Animals, the lowest rated yeah, show in the history of USA. That one, that one, unfortunately, yeah. Didn't uh, stretch it out. Go yeah. on. What's up? What's up? Uh, yes. Okay. So Hughie Barnes, uh, uh, comes out of, uh, the RSC. Yeah. Right. Hugh Keens Burn. Jesus Keys Christ. Burn. Hugh Keys Burn. Keys Burn. Who of course plays Toe Cutter in this. Yes. And then will eventually show up as Immortan Joe. Immortan Joe. Yeah. 
in Mad Max Fury Road. But was thought of as this sort of like Brando-esque, very imposing. That's his, yeah, right. He's husky. Right. right. He's got a face, you he's, know. And he's unconventional. He's very behavioral. He's very organic. He's so good in this movie. I mean, so much of the shit he does in this movie is... Uh, improvised physically right. or energy wise, right. the things that he's doing, how he's intimidating people. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, another thing they talk about is that uh, he was very big into the, like with the biker boys, with his gang being like, uh, we, we got to like really be a gang. We got to be like united. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, so this is a crazy thing they would do, which in retrospect, uh, maybe inspire Jared Leto in the wrong way. Right, right. Uh, they would cut their thumbs. Okay. And then write letters for the other cast members with their own blood. Oh, okay. That's very Jared Leto in Suicide Squad. I just Squad. said. Yeah, that's crazy. So they like broke into like Mel Gibson's hotel room and like. Is that where Mel Gibson learned to be a prankster? Maybe. Because until he was an anti-Semite, a yes. famous drunk anti-Semite wife harasser. He and was this famous goofer. It was like Mel Gibson likes to put a cigar in his ass and take a picture of it or whatever. And it was just like, oh, great. Yeah. You know, like Just like the 90s. It was just like. Can we get in that he's a notorious prankster, right. you know, like in any right. puff piece? But that's the crazy thing is you watch this documentary and they're all talking about like, yeah, we were intense. We slept together. Oh. We, were, we were cutting ourselves and doing all this stuff. And Mel was like, yeah, they were, uh, they had a vibe going on. And then they cut to other crew people and they were like, uh, Mel was terrified. Uh, he would come to us and complain all the time. Yeah, I believe he it. He didn't like, he did not uh, sanction their buffoonery. So and he's like, they left me notes and stuff. They were like really in character. And they were like, uh, Mel would call us. He was worried they were going to attack him on set. Oh my <laughs> he God. wanted protection. The idea that these guys were freaking Mel Gibson out. Right. But this is when Mel Gibson's just a lovable prankster. You also wonder if he's like, oh, is this how you're supposed to behave on movie? <laughs> um, so the plot of Mad Max. Let's get into it. Yeah. Because we've, we've now done... I mean, they shot it guerrilla style or whatever, right? Like, there's all that legend where they but, were like, but a three month shoot, which is pretty fucking long for a movie like this. Yeah, although I believe it was partly because some, uh, what's her name got injured. The, the original wife got injured, so they delayed them two weeks. Yeah, well, so this is this is the timeline of that for a movie that is all insane stunts. The biggest injury that happened happened two days before filming started, which was their stunt supervisor, who was also going to be their lead stunt man, and the woman they had hired to be Mad the Max's wife. wife. Yeah. Uh, got in a motorcycle crash leaving like pre-production Oh because that's another thing they talk about is like they were so like strapped and so much of the budget went to the vehicles for this movie right. that all the motorcycles and the muscle cars were also being used as like transpo like they were like Byron Kennedy was like dropping off right. crew members in, every in, night in, in the a, V8 interceptor right, right, right. you know like that's so so the stunt guy gives the lead actress a ride home on a motorcycle and then there's like a freak accident and they spin out and they go into the office and George Miller as a doctor is immediately able to analyze them. And he's like, your leg is broken in like six places. Right. This is going to take like three, four months to fully recover. You're not going to be able to walk. And the other guy was wearing glasses. And when he crashed, they went into his face and his nose was lacerated. Like all this fucking shit. He had internal bleeding. Um, so they freak out. Uh, they hire um, a new guy to be the temporary stunt guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they hire a new actress. Joanne Samuel. Uh, he rejiggers the screenplay and also the scheduling. Sure. Around now, yeah, 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 you right. know, all that. Anyway, um, the first day shooting the first piece with the car and this new stunt driver, 
they get the shot. It's not great. And then when he asks him to reset, the guy backs off and dents the car. And George Miller just goes like, I, I can't do this. Yeah, right. I mean, like he goes just, like, I'm in over my head. Right. I clearly can't handle this. I'm so freaked out by the fact that this injury happened before we started filming. I shouldn't be making this movie. So they reach out to the guy whose name I forget, who directed BMX Bandits. I've seen that movie. Who at this point is like an Australian the stalwart. Nicole like, Kidman. Yes. Um, BMX Bandits was directed by, no, no, but he hadn't made it yet. Because BMX Bandits came out four years after. But it's this guy. Uh, Brian Trenchard Smith. Correct. Yes. And George Miller and Kennedy met. Who also made Leprechaun 3. Let's put some respect on his name. Put some respect on his name. George Miller was like, I I can't fucking do this. Let's hire him. He's an old pro. He's doing like Australian TV. Miller had never been on a proper film set before. And this is a guy who's like going to know how to handle it. He's done action stunt stuff. You know, there are a lot of like cop shows in Australia, which is mostly where they were pulling their crew from. And he's like, they'll feel comfortable with this guy. I'll stay on as a producer. I can't do this. And all the biker actors come to him and they're like, we're not doing the movie. Go on, Mike. Come on now. Yeah. And so after like, so canceled, they're shut down for a couple days. Yeah. But George Miller goes like, you know what? You're right. I have to do this. Yeah. And he comes back and does it. The biggest entry still to date on any of the Mad Max movies happens in pre-production of the first one, which is pretty nuts. I don't know. The Do Fourier, though. How's he doing? Have we checked in on him? He's doing great. Okay. He's doing great. He's doing great. Are you kidding me? Um, Terrific guy. Terrific guy. Uh, Cheeto. Is she doing okay? Cheeto? Cheeto. She's one of the fucking. In which one? In Fury Road. Oh, really? Yeah. Shall I read the names of the ladies in Fury Road? We'll get to that eventually. Well, but should I read it right now, though? Cheeto? Capable Cheeto Toast the Dag and the Splendid Agnorad. These are the other like Those are the five women in Fury Road. Really? Yeah. You know Capable uh, Cheeto. Is that one of the name Valkyrie? Like No, that's that's the people they run oh, it. The tribe. And Gale. Yeah. Okay. Technically, I've been in multiple gangs. I've just been thinking Technically. What do you mean technically? What do you mean technically? Like gangs. My graffiti crew. You mean we been? were kind of a <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean I've you like IV? You're like a plant over here? It's <laughs> just this weird New Jersey talk. What is this? Well, you know, you were in a graffiti crew that yeah. would tag your, you know, whatever, congratulations or whatever your tag was all over the city. Yes. Yeah. And I had a group of friends and we would steal. Uh-huh. What would you steal? Liquor from people's... Um, Outdoor patio bars. We would deliver pizza. Well, you would ace that's the That's joint. a real Jersey vibe, too. It's like my outdoor patio bar. Wait a second. Here in New Jersey, where it's always warm, except for eight months but out of the year. You would find people that have, like, they're into grilling. They've got it at, you know, an outdoor yeah, bar yeah. situation. So we like deliver pizza. We go, we steal that. Uh, I'm sorry. I have uh, 15 follow up questions. Were any of you employed as pizza delivery people? Yeah. You were. Okay, so yeah. the in was... It's not like you showed up with a pizza. Like, What if they were just showed up with like DiGiorno? That was my question. <laughs> like, Are you mugging a pizza no, delivery guy we, and stealing he's, his he's route? No or casing crime, the right? joints. What's that? No violent crimes. No, being committed. no, no. You're casing no, the no. joint like the beginning of Home Alone. Yeah. So you work at pizza places. Pizza. You deliver like, it. You scout oh, it no, out. Those guys have one of those dumb bars. We could grab. No, no, I, I get that. I get that. My yeah. question was: It's hard to come by vodka when you're in high school. Sure, I understand that. My question was: Is there an additional grift? Yeah, no, no. Are no, they no, using? You're, you're, are they gainfully employed? 
Think about Ben as a teenager. Do you think there was grift upon grift? Or Possibly. Think, no. No, the vibe is more like, hey. A to B. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> but then you're like Yogi Bear style stealing liquor from windowsills. It no. is very quaint. Because then we would have to go and break and you break weren't and enter. enter. We weren't breaking and enter. Right. You knew that that would uh, elevate your crime. Yeah. Yes. So you would you would take it while you were. the outdoor bars. It's outside. Yeah. What do you mean outdoor bars? Well, this is what I was making fun of. You okay. were so concerned with whether they were getting pizza. It's like a porch bar. It's like a the most insane Jersey bar. shirt. I, I mean, what do you, what do you, <laughs> anyway, look, what's important is. Yeah. Max Rockatansky. Well, no, no, there are a couple more things I want to say here. Okay. Or maybe, maybe we can do it as we talk yeah, about it. Come the, on. Okay. Let's get into okay. the movie. Like what else sure. do you need to say? No, I, I just think a big part of it is that they had a long pre-production, that there was so much thought put into it, that he hires all these actors, um, and they really work for a while. I mean, not just the biker guys, like, spending time together, but the cops all spending time together and establishing vernacular. And and George Miller is a very collaborative filmmaker. They talk a lot about that, like, he and Kennedy were, like, complete partners. Right. And that Kennedy could have just as easily been the director and George Miller could have just as easily been the producer. It was kind of arbitrary that they landed in that way. And the first two films are such thorough collaborations between the two of them. Mm. And it really fucks up his career when it, – not his career. It fucks him up emotionally and mentally when Kennedy dies. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, yeah. Well, no, you should talk about it. But but yeah. we'll get to that's that. post that's, Bemex too, I believe. Yeah. That's Thunderdome yeah. is, is the him grieving movie. Um, but that he – you know, the, the guys, there's the one guy in the, in the biker gang who like only makes animal noises. Right. Yeah. And he had like. His name is, he's credited as Ben Hosley. <laughs> <sitting here. laughs> ben plays eight characters in this film, Nutty right, Professor right. style. Right. <laughs> there's that every scene with the gang is just Ben six times super influenced. It's like they're all oneers. It's just yeah. like, all right, mate. Yeah, great. Hercules, Hercules. <laughs> but that, that character had like three or four lines in the script and the actor went up to George Miller and was like, how about I just do noise? Yeah. He was like, I could say three or four things and be the guy who doesn't say much, or I could be the animal noise guy. And George Miller was like, yeah, absolutely. Great idea. This is what I like. like. He was very much a creating ecosystem, have people around him. And and he talks a lot about that. So much of even the weird design elements of this one, uh, because this movie still takes place in like half a recognizable society. Yes. A lot of the weird design elements would be like actors showing up on the day and being like, I was in like my shed and I found this fencing helmet. Right. Could I throw this on the set or wear this in this scene? Like the weird jambalaya of all these different like objects and costume pieces. A lot of it was brought in by the actors themselves or by crew members bringing things in and being like, this feels like it should be in a in a location. Right. Right. This feels like someone should wear this. Let's get into the movie. Yes. Because one thing I like about it, especially if you are watching this, having seen another Mad Max. Yeah. Which I feel like most people probably do. And you and I both watched it after seeing later Mad Maxes. A hundred percent. I had definitely seen The Road Warrior. And yeah, I think I, I can't remember if I saw this. I think I saw it in high school before I saw Fury. It doesn't matter. But, anyway, it, but it is weird to watch you're it in like, that oh, order. Oh, this isn't set in just like the desert. Like no. this isn't just they set didn't in an apocalypse. Play all of these movies in your like, history class <laughs> to teach you the history enough, of your enough. people. But like, just like to think like <laughs> this is still set in a place where there's like you can like go get ice cream at right. a store. Right. You know, like there's still cops and a right. civilization and people stuff still like do that. laundry. Right. It's yeah. just that 
the the crime is out of control. Like that's sort of what's sort of near future. But I remember it. the first time I saw it, and not just that I had seen Road Warrior before it, but also that I had seen the things influenced by Mad Max. I sure. heard the way people talk about Mad Max and how influential it was in the right. sort of post-apocalyptic genre right. that I watched it for the first time going like, so what is the halfway point where society collapses? Yeah, exactly. You're like, right. Is this about society collapsing? It's like, no, it's a simpler story right. about a cop yeah. trying to take someone down, yeah. you know, take a gang down. Right. And it's just in a world where it's kind of like, yeah, shit's fucked up. So when I first saw it, I remember being like, not underwhelmed by it by going like, oh, but this isn't the real shit. Sure. I mean, it's a raw movie. And it's I watched it a couple of times and I watched even twice in the last couple of days because I watched it once with commentary, once without. And I was really trying to apply to it this like Star Wars thing of try to just pretend that the other ones don't exist sure. and view this just as its own movie. Yeah. Not even as like a I fucking no Smiths bit. But as a like, no, I get a hundred percent. This you, right. individual movie would probably have a better reputation if he hadn't made three incredible sequels afterwards. Yeah, sure. If, if this, I mean, it's got a good reputation. Oh, yeah. totally. But I'm saying if this was his dead alive, People rather like, than right. this being his evil dead one. All his skills on display. Right. Right. I mean, we, yeah, evil dead, great comparison. Yes. yes. Yeah. And we'll talk more evil dead comparisons in later right. episodes as right. we compare it to the evil dead sequels. And exactly. it's a pretty clear analog. It's, it's in the most insanely clear analog. Yes. Um, but this movie, right. You start out with like in the near future. Yes. After the title's just A few just like, years from now. It's yes. striking just the like the black on white, yeah. the music is booming, Mad Max in like chrome letters. He said the title was literally, I just want something that sounds cool, yeah. is alliterative, is punchy. It's a great punchy. title. When you're eight, you're like, that must be the coolest movie ever Mad made. Max. Yeah. Mad Max. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Bad um, Men. I think it was, Mad was the first word I ever said. Yeah. But you so could, Max like, was the second. They thought you were going to say mama, and then you just said, man. <laughs> uh, but you have that, like, you know, a few years in the future, mm-hmm. and then you have the halls of justice where, like, the letters are falling off of it. Right. right. Then you see a street sign that says anarchy. Right. Right. Spelled. That, the, the beginning of it is you're like, yeah. Right. Yeah. Graffiti. Yes, yeah, it's so cool. Wall. And then you see the, the like, street sign, the amount it? of fatalities that have oh, happened yeah, right, on this road. Right, right. Like, you have four pieces Isn't of there just a street world sign setting. that's funny. It, it that's says anarchy. anarchy. Yeah, right. That's but it's like A N A R C H I E. But you have like four things in the first five seconds that visually do so much table setting right. for like, this is just sort of like the temperature of this place. Right. Yeah. And then there is the, the the head cop who is shirtless wearing a scarf. And then you're like, okay, this is the future. Yeah, sure. We're in a different time. We've perfected fashion. We have perfected fashion <laughs> and how one dresses. No, but I mean, the beginning of this movie, it's very cool. It's a car chase. This was one of their ideas, oh. as they said. Uh, his co-writer, whose um, name I'm already forgetting again. Oh, oh um, Jesus. Uh, James McCausland. But he said, what, what if uh, the movie started with a denouement? Sure, right, right. You've got Knight Rider. Right. Cool guy. Yeah. But you just, you open with the kind of thing that movies spend the first 30 minutes building right. up to. Played by Vincent Gill. And then who, you go down. been in yeah. that movie, Stone. Night Rider's uh, having a ball. He's got a lady in the car with him. Yes. Yeah. You also have the um, the man spying with the sniper goggles mm-hmm. and the people having sex. It's very like lurid. Very. That's early Johnny on. the Boy, isn't yes. it? Yes. Right. Um. So you've got those guys, the yeah. sort of shitty cops. Yeah. The new cop, the shitty cop. What are their name? I don't remember any of their names. 
Yeah, I mean, they all have good names. They uh, do all have good names. It's hard to differentiate between them. It I, is. I was, I just watched uh, the other night, um, the, um, whatchamacallit, the, the Hollywood Reporter, like, director's roundtable thing. The Like, the newest one? With yes. Todd Phillips and all those people? Sure. And Greta yeah, Gerwig right, and Martin right. Scorsese. And, of course, they, like, litigate the Scorsese cinema yeah, thing, yeah. whatever. And then they, like, after everyone was fighting about it, they went, like, what about you, Greta? Like, what defines cinema? And she was like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like, why are you throwing this on me? And then in her defensiveness, she came up with, I thought, such an eloquent answer. Uh-huh. Which was, like... And at first it sounds like she's making a joke, like sort of riffing on the old pornography thing. Right. But she's right. like, you know it when you see it. Right, right. Isn't Lulu on that panel too? Yes, right. And she's she the one who talks to Marty about it. it. Yeah, she does. Kills it. But um, Gerwig is like, look, I've been lucky enough that I've been on film festival juries. And in a certain way, that's the best way to watch a movie because you're going to see all this stuff, but you're watching it devoid of context. You're going to these screenings and you don't know where they're coming from, what they are, whatever. And the thing I've learned through doing that, and especially when you're watching films from different countries with actors you don't recognize- right, right is not only do you know it when you see it, but you almost always can tell within the first 15 seconds if you're watching a movie with someone who is a filmmaker. It's 100% true because- And she's like, it doesn't always mean it's going to be a great film. Like the movie could fall off, but you can tell when someone has an actual understanding of the medium and a thing to say. I mean- so I have not been on, I assume Greta's been on like a Venice jury, like a very highfalutin good jury. Yeah. Yeah, first name. Yeah, me and Greta, we go way back. But like I have done Gotham's juries many times. Um, and other jer- where you're like handed a pile yeah. of screeners of true indie movies, right? right? Like movies that are not maybe some of them will never be released, yeah. right? And it is totally that you watch one scene, and yeah. you're, like mostly you're like, oh okay, and then once in a while you put in something and you're like, holy shit, like this is yeah. a movie. Yeah, but like my experience with film score or like going to like short film festivals or things like that, you right. can just always tell within like a couple of shots whether or not the thing is great if someone is kind of has the bones of a filmmaker. And this is one of those movies where like you watch it and in the first like five minutes, you're like, this is a filmmaker. This is someone who knows how to put a movie together. Right. You know, there is something just about the, the elegance and the clarity of how it's structured where even though you have eight million questions about the world. There's a lot of something and who up these in the people air. are and the intricacies of their relationships to each other on such a primal level. And it's a word I feel like I'm going to keep on using with Miller and especially with these Mad Max movies, but on such a primal level, the elegance of how this opening chase is structured, which is like essentially 13 minutes long. Mm-hmm. And sure. uh, you don't really get a clear shot of Mel Gibson until minute yeah, but, 13. But it's introducing him very sexily where it's sort of like, Little glimpses. But, but all of this, I mean, his his level that. of control I mean, and his that's understanding. The they have that's so smart. Right. Like, here's our hero, but we're not going to, we're not just going to let you see him. But also, this is a movie where there's not going to be a ton of characterization. So we need to sell to you why this guy's the important because one to follow. In this scene. Because he's not Luke Skywalker. He's not the chosen one. Right. But you've got Knight Rider whose vibe is he wants to drive his car very fast and go like, <laughs> I am the Knight Rider, blah, 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 the whole time and run people down. That's his vibe, right? He's a. Can I say it? Go ahead. He's a messy bitch who lives for the drama. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's kind of true. And so you have these you have these cops, uh, part of the MFP, the uh-huh. main force patrol, going after him. Yeah. One of them who see, I feel like he thinks he's sort of Mad Maxy. Yes. And one who's a newbie. Yeah. And they're doing a shit job. And they're sort and of an odd Max couple bickering yeah, energy right, right. thing. And you right. got Max chilling, waiting, yeah. but yeah. he's not doing anything. Right. And when Max finally enters, 
that's when Knight Rider just starts to lose it because he's yeah. just like, oh, fuck, oh, shit, oh, right. shit. Like, because Max is, like, on his tail. Right. So he has magic to him. And th- and there is also- Very magic. There is ma- this- Magic Max? Magic Max. Mad Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, there is this energy, too, of, like, there's something a little bit crazy about Mad Max mm-hmm. yeah. that is the same thing that is just innately a little bit crazy about Mel Gibson, even in this, which is arguably- his most normal performance. Yeah. It's a, you know, a, his most normal performance as Max for sure. But also I think as he becomes more and more of a movie star, even when he's playing a normal charming guy, he yeah. always coasted on a certain live wire manic energy. He did. And this movie, he hasn't totally harnessed that yet. He's, he's a lot more subdued, but there is this weird caged animal thing in Mel Gibson's eyes that is like constantly there. And the idea that like this guy scares the Knight Rider because this guy's crazy enough to go as fast. Right. Yeah. And to fucking ride him bumper to bumper. Right. But it's like, and it's the cops and robbers thing, but it like, and this is, I feel like a thing that Sims would love. Like it's, it. there's a system mm-hmm. in which cops know the reputations of these yes. robbers and vice versa. Well, why don't you and, ask they, and that Max has this respect and there's yeah. a fear amongst like the, the, the criminal community. Him? What's that? You said you feel like it's something that David would love. Why don't you ask him if he loves Dave, it? Do you like that? Yeah, I love it. Cool. It's great. Cool. Okay. Honestly, hey, I wasn't sure. I'm glad you asked. Oof. And I was stressed out I'm totally. for a minute. There. Totally. I mean, we weren't going to be doing a thorough job on this episode if we didn't get confirmation. Right. Did it have enough rules for you in this one? Or do you feel like the rules ramp up in two and three and then you're like. No, this has more rules. You would say more rules. I would say. This one well, still like has basic like structure and order. Exactly. Yeah. He still yeah. goes and talks to a boss who's like, hey, Max, we got you a new car. A shirtless boss. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. Right. There's some energy. And well, he, like, ch- he he thick. Can I yes. say it? In he a great is way. an absolute unit. He really oh, is. man. I mean, I did, the second he came on screen, I was like, that is who that term exists for. Yeah, he's a big boy. He looks uh, like a fucking 1910s, like, strong man no, at honestly, a carnival right. side. He, he looks, looks like, like a Miyazaki character. Yes, 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 come to right. life. Yeah, 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 but he yeah. does have this, like, Dr. Robotnik, yeah, like, long mustache. Mm. So he's in God, the I documentary. I'm excited to see Jim Carrey as Dr. Robotnik, but I do wish they had cast a Thick King, which is sort of like his you know computer look yes yes because he's a thick king he's got long skinny legs but he's got a thick it old does bod. feel like do you remember when jim carrey he's was an su- eggman was supposed to play curly in the three stooges movie right 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 and yes. he spent like a year beefing up and everyone right. was like there's he's just not gonna You're get not round gonna enough that size it's it's no you know inherent like right. yeah, you can't make yourself look like that right uh, I agree with you. You want you want an Eggman. Yeah. Um, but uh, this this actor whose name I'm forgetting who plays the the chief. Um, who is Fifi it? is the character? Yeah. Name, right? uh, yeah. Uh, Roger Ward. Is yes. So George Miller, like any actors he was getting, especially the ones who had been on TV and were recognizable within like the Australian media, you know, landscape. He was like, if I'm, if I'm, I want to cast a lot of actors who are unknown, haven't been on camera before, but if people have been working, I want to change their look. Cause I don't want anyone to go like, oh, that's the cop from this show. That's the doctor from this show. Right. So he was giving people these assignments of like, we're going to dye this. We're going to shave this, whatever. To this guy, he says, we're going to shave your head and have you grow out a mustache. Right. And he, in this interview was like, look at that time, no one shaved their head. Right, it was that like was that- career suicide. Even if you were going bald, you wear a toupee. It was Yul Brenner. It was Telly Savalas. Right. And that was it. And they, and they, their whole, 90% of their image was that they had right. a shaved head. Right. And he was yeah. like, George Muller was super trepidatious asking me this. He was like, clearly like afraid of the boundaries of it. And what he didn't know is I had spent years 
wanting to shave my head, but I was, was too scared to like, do yeah, it. Yeah, let's do it. And he was like, and at that moment, George gave me permission. And in the interview that is filmed probably sometime in the late 90s, early 2000s, right. the guy looks exactly the same as he does Good in this him. movie. Good for him. A thousand percent bald other than a long mustache. And it's like George Miller unlocked the image that this guy had in his head, who he was afraid to be, and then has just spent the last 40 years looking like that every day of his life. That fucking rules. It's a great <laughs> Isn't look. Isn't that a beautiful story? Yes, that fucking is great. Anyway, Max chases down the Night Rider. And they use the first flash of that amazing prosthetic shot of the eyes bulging The eyes out. bulging But out. it's so quick. It's so quick. But it's, it's that's the moment good. where you're like, wait, this isn't just a good filmmaker. Is this guy a genius? Yeah, it is such a weird touch. Is this like the inklings of a genius? But also here? just the car chases you are just, I cannot believe they pulled that off with no. like no money and like basically just like closing down a road for 15 minutes and all that shit. But they, they talk about there are two things. One, because the Victorian government eventually came back around to them, right. offered them financing. They didn't get that. But the thing that uh, Brian Kennedy, Byron the Kennedy. Cops were kind of in on it, right? What they, they were like, really smart right, was they got a letter, right, 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 right that right. said that the film had been approved right. by. So like, All right, close the road for you. So they call it the get out of jail free card. And there's a scene in the movie where Goose says that to someone. He gives them a get out of jail free card, which was like an inside joke. Right. Yeah. Because Byron Kennedy had this one document that he would show to anyone anytime they got a question. It was like a guy named like Detective Stubbs or something gave him this thing. Right. And a lot of the crew people are like, in retrospect, I don't know that that was real. We never met that detective. Right, it right, might right, have been right, forged. Right. Kennedy's <laughs> dead. We don't know. Yeah. But they used this one document to get out of everything. But the other thing is, all the crew was like, this guy's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's so inexperienced sure. with George Miller because he would do a crazy setup and just get a two-second shot right. and cut and move on really and quickly. And they'd be like, that wasn't worth it. That was insane, right? Yeah. Or you're not going to be able to use that. You can't right. cut it's, together. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. You're going to cross the line here. That piece won't work with this piece. And it was this thing that he just like had it all in his head. In this opening chase, there's the moment where the kid runs out into the middle of the street. Yes, which is incredible. And it's this incredibly and tense moment. And he's also foreshadowing what's going to happen. Totally. Sprague. But you watch it and you're like, oh, fuck. And it feels like, is this going to be some toxic Avenger shit where you have to watch like the most gruesome thing right, ever? Right. So you're like on board 100%. Right. And you so you're love your what you're about you're... to see. And but not, that's my janitor from my high school. Not only is the movie not that gruesome, that no. most of it's sort of suggestions. Yes. But there, I was watching it with the commentary and it's like the DP and the art director and maybe the explosions guy all talking about that moment. And they're like, if you look at the four shots that comprise the kid almost getting hit by the car, the kid is never close to the car. Right, right, right. Like the way it was shot was in the safest way possible. They were not doing fucking donuts around a baby. Right. But you watch it and it feels like I can't believe that car missed that kid. And it doesn't feel like I can't believe they organized that that well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It feels like you you feel like it's happening in real time and there's no way they're going to be able to avoid an accident that the risk is so high so night riders pals yeah our toe cutter and his gang a great name it is so a great name good. he never cuts any toes but he has. Yeah. That's he how he got. The, I mean, he does other how, shit. That's how I get the fucking name. Yeah, that's how I get the fucking name. That's how maybe, I get the fucking name. Maybe dude. he was just like, I'm going to be called Toe Cutter. And everyone's like, did you cut, toe, cut a toe? And he's like, I don't know. What's my name? Toenail. Yeah, right. And then he grabbed like shoe me Toe Cutter every three weeks. <laughs> and he just rubbed it on his eye. Do you think? Or did he <laughs> see a dog with like a black sort of spot? And he was like, I like that look. The character Toe Cutter. Right, yeah. right, right, yeah. right. <laughs> 
He shaved his eyebrow because he saw a real biker gang guy mm. who looked like that and just showed up and was like, I don't have an eyebrow now. And everyone was terrified. He's genuinely terrified. He's so good because he's got so much personality. But also he is not like he he is this like Shakespearean trained actor who is speaking with this like gravitas and this diction. Like he's not trying to be like scuzzy conventional no, not at all. tough he's guy. Shakespearean. That's what's beautiful. Yeah. About it. Yes. But okay. So. Which is why I prefer him to the Lord Humongous. A hundred percent. There is though this whole sort of like, like late sixties acid mm-hmm. sort of like cult kind of vibe to the biker gang yes. as well. And I think it really sells how dangerous these guys right. are right. because it's not even that they're menacing and tough. Yeah. It's like, they're so psychologically like messed up from something. Cause the barking right. guy, like that trope, I feel yeah. like, I don't know if that was like a thing in genre or if it was just like kind of biker exploitation kind of like movies. I think a little bit of both. I mean, the thing they talked about was like this whole thing of them sort of like remaining not in character, but staying in the mode and like spending this much time together and doing shit to other people and whatever. It's not like they were ever attacking people, but they were like, we were constantly doing things that, that people would not usually do non-criminal things to get ourselves past the point of any sort of fear or embarrassment around each other right, right. to feel that that's confident, why it worked where there's this like reckless abandon especially when there's a group shot of all of them so they were like we would make people think we were about to fight them we had no interest in ever fighting anybody but you wanted to be able to look someone in the eye and convince them that you were going to fight them and seem like you had what it took to do it. so much of their they're not even doing car stuff no. they're just being scary it's also beautiful that there's no like it's not like there's a heist it's not like there's a specific no crime. they just it's go just to a like, town and ruin it these fucking rascals <laughs> but the way they're they little more than rascals these little rascals more than but i also love how arch they are too yes. it's like west side story kind yeah. of where yeah. they're just hanging out and like just and like oh, it just be being like sarcastically menacing. Well, that's also and the like, weird actor right, thing right. where you have like a bunch of actors who all want to pop in a scene yeah. where people are doing shit. Like, let me burn my forearm. <laughs> like, even if you're in a scene by yourself, you're like, I got to show that I'm just as crazy as the other guy. I'll be the animal guy. Yeah. yeah everyone's doing like a lot of bits. Oh, but they're all great. Yes. Then oh, you, great. You've got Johnny the boy. Yes. His hey. protege. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who's, you know, he's into it, but he's not quite, he doesn't quite have the sort of mean streak. But all the Mad Max movies have this weird, like, sort of, like, mentorship thing. There's always, like, a big guy and a little guy. Right, right, right. You know? There's some sort of odd, like, is it sexual? Is it paternal? Like, what is it? Fury Road's so good. Uh, The only problem with Mad Max now is that even though the other movies are all good, like, anytime I watch them, I'm like, I do love Fury Road. I know, and it, it is bizarre how successfully Fury Road works as I've spent 30 years yeah. and I've done all the research and now I know how to make a perfect Mad Max movie. Yeah, right, truly. <laughs> like all of these films have their own value. As I said, watch this again. I know, Try I know, 100%, but like you like, watch this movie and you're like, oh, but what if Toe Cutter had a truck that was so big I know, you just and keep the wheels thinking, were so big. I can't wait to watch Fury Road. Like I'm I'm edging. Like this whole mini series, I almost watched it a couple weeks ago. Me too. I, I watched Me it too. recently just because uh, for my season. I've been waiting because I'm like, I, I want to I want to watch in order up to this. Yeah. Uh, like it would just be really fun. I'm sure I can own this thing now, right? There must be some toy of it. The Giga Horse. It's well, no, I mean, no, could I mean, you get the real car though? Yeah, real merchandise. Yeah, the spotlight. real car. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, no, I know the toys are complicated. Yeah, we'll get into that. It would That's be cool to race cars in the desert. Yeah, yeah you're just saying you want to live in the wasteland. Have you been to Australia? No. 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 I've never been to the desert. You've never been to like the uh, Arizona or somewhere like that? No, right? but or, I'm going to try now and, and race cars. Yeah. kind of surprised you haven't been to Burning Man. But I it's know. too hippie-ish. Yeah, I guess that's that's the the he doesn't like hippies. Yeah, I, I don't like hippies. And Everything the, other than the hippie contingency feels very up your drugs, alley. Oh, yeah. No, nudity. it's the drugs. That's why I was going to go. It's the drugs <laughs> and nudity. Burning thing. Yeah, oh, <laughs> effigy, I'm there. <laughs> Tense. <laughs> effigy. Um, I consider so. myself a fan of effigies. <laughs> so they, then this is the, this is the thing that is weirdest about Mad Max. He goes about back Mad home Max to his one. wife. And his well, that is actually, his wife plays the saxophone. He, I mean, that's great. I love his baby wears a no, sailor it's hat. They I arrest, love a little they hot arrest sax. Johnny the boy yeah. and take him to court. And yeah. he like gets off on a technicality. Yeah. That's the thing where you're like in the movie, they're like, Oh, the world's gone to shit. But you're like, there's a court there. Right. Laws? But that's, <laughs> he's like getting away with something. This is also, in Mad Max 2, you would just like run him over. That's right? the point. You know? That's yeah. the point. I think if you're seeing this film in 1979, you're like, I can't believe a movie is this crazy. Right, right, right. If you're watching this movie in 2020, you're like, they have walls? This yeah, is right, lame. Exactly. They have doors? Right. This house looks heated. Um, but yes, of what course, is this bullshit? we don't see his wife for Take quite a while, off. right? She comes in. It's like the 15 like, minute mark. It's 15, yeah, 20 minute mark. Yeah, you have yeah, this yeah. straight action sequence and then there's like a right. fade yeah. to him as home. There's sax music playing. Right. He's hanging out with his baby. It's nice domesticity. Sprunk. And then one, an amazing reverse shot reveal of his wife is the one playing the sax. Right, 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 right. I mean, right. an incredible bit. <laughs> but then, yeah, because you're cutting between that and then he goes back to cop land and yeah. they're like, we made you a cool cause. Keep being a cop. And he's like, all right. You know, that's where you meet the interceptor. Which, And when they're in that pursuit special, when they're in that garage yeah, and yeah, it just yeah. feels like, oh, my God, how can they afford to have a garage this big with this many cars in it? It's truly a thing where they would shoot one angle and then they would move all the cars around to the other side and shoot the other angle. So no matter what angle they're at, it looks right. like they're three cars in the background, which makes you feel like they're 20 cars, but they're actually only three. Shit like that's incredible. Uh, Byron Kennedy's also the one who is doing a lot of the stunt driving in this movie. He was like a big motorhead. He was the guy who really understood the language of the vehicles. George Miller gives him a lot of credit in particular for the sound that he was sort of a genius with sound. And a big thing that he said is like each of these motors has to have a different register, a different pitch. So they each sonically are their own characters mm -hmm. that unconsciously you start to recognize the vehicles in that kind of way. So he's like picking the cars, designing the cars, uh, Giving them an oral and, and driving a lot of them on camera. Yeah. And also, you know, yeah. picking up lunch in the V8 intercept there. Right. Right. Which they, in all the making of stuff, always call the black on black. <laughs> sure. Which is kind of cool. That is cool. Yeah. So Johnny gets off. Yes. Well, he sabotages Goose's bike mm -hmm. and Goose crashes, but survives. Yeah. Even though he's like flipped off his fucking bike. Which the two heckle and jackal cops at the beginning in failing to catch the Knight Rider, the one guy ends up yeah, with glass in his like, neck Whoa. and then he's got the, like, the, the, the sound box, box thing. Yeah. Yeah. But it was another George Miller thing is he's like, I want everyone to have all these like, like little injuries. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Um, but that's when they burn up Goose. Yeah. I mean, we're zooming, but yeah. We're not. What have we missed? Goose dies at like the 45 minute mark. Yeah. 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 But what is there? No, what what haven't we right, talked about? Right. 
Yeah. I mean, you. Well, that's, that's, what's Goose's car chase? Max's okay, family, no, well, toe cutter. That's right. There's sabotage. a lot of toe cutters. Does yeah. Goose? I mean, he seems like he's got charisma, but he is. The, it, everyone's making it out to seem like he's got the most on well, the, in, in the country. Indie budget movie. He can like say a joke, so everyone's like, yeah. "This guy's a cut up." Here's the other problem: they didn't know that the other actor was going to be Mel Gibson. Which sure, say what you right. will. No, no, he's great. About it. well, yeah, Isn't I was going to say say what you will about his acting. His personal life is fantastic. But, uh, no, but, but it is like, it is so insane to just think that this movie, which you're so used to seeing these types of movies with lead actors who either never become anything or become just sort of cult figures like Jeffrey Combs or like Bruce Campbell, you know, or like working actors to watch this movie, which is so scrappy and gorilla and be like, and then it produced this dude who became the biggest at a point was the biggest, the biggest star in Hollywood, like the absolute biggest star became the highest paid star in Hollywood had like a. 25 year career yeah. won all the Oscars like everything it, it's just a they, they all talk about like they cast him he was good in auditions he had a real reputation from drama school and busy were best friends it felt like those were the two guys who were gonna make it but it wasn't until that they started filming the movie and Mel Gibson stepped in front of camera and everyone looked behind the lens and they were like oh fuck this guy's popping that weird X Factor thing where certain people just fucking work on a movie screen yeah where they like looked at him and they were like, this guy's really handsome. And then they looked at him like through the viewfinder and they were like, Oh, $20 million leather motorcycle jacket. It's just like, boom, which all of them are vinyl. Yeah. For budgetary reasons. They were like, it was so gross. You were like wringing out your stuff and they were like changing on the side of the road, you know, like, I mean, they're like driving the vehicles in the on-camera vehicles to weird, desolate locations. And then everyone's, like, setting up. The actors are, like, grabbing sandbags. I mean, the crew was so small. Everyone in this movie had, like, four titles who was part of the crew. And every actor ended up doing, like, two crew jobs on top of it. And he was like, we were helping light, like, everything. So they burn Goose up. it was worth it. They burn Goose up. They burn him. They burn him up. They roast Goose. They roast the Goose. Which it is crazy. There are two different canonically like humongous action films in which the hero loses a best friend named Goose, and that's what like. That's a fair him. point, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 very, very, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, that's when the Max, lesson is: never make a best friend named Goose. Goose. Never call anyone Goose. Never Jesus call anyone Christ. Goose. It's a stupid name. Yeah, especially but, not but, a cat. So Max retires and he goes to live with his wife and just chill out. You can't deal with it anymore. Right. And that's yeah. when his kid gets smashed up by the toe cutter guy. Yeah. It's just funny that there are two revenge yeah. points like you don't really need max's family to die like you know killing gooses i would be like yeah i get it now he has to go kill toe cutter like i i don't really need the second thing i don't mind it to be clear i think the I don't argument mind the is total loss of his humanity it I, makes total I think sense it, i think that's what it is I think right it's but that, then the goose thing almost feels superfluous for you're like okay yeah goose had to go too i guess no because the point is even if look obviously losing the wife and child is more catastrophic right yeah would be he harder doesn't have anywhere to go to to overcome. That. Right. I think having those two things happen as two separate instances so close together is what drives him into madness. It drives him into madness. I mean, like, I think, I think also, if his wife like, and child died, he would probably go into deep depression and seek some sort of revenge. But the level of just like, I don't give a fuck that he hits by the end of the movie can right. only be reached if like your life becomes that like, like cosmically absurdly tragic. Right. But you also, it's like the initial conflict in the movie is he's like, should I quit being a cop? Yes. And then Goose dies and he does. Yeah. But then, right, you know, then obviously. It's like this world doesn't make sense. I don't have anything to live for anymore. Yeah. 
toe cutter. I don't talk more about like I've now reached the end of the fucking Wikipedia. Okay. I'll like, say the this. summary is not long. It's not a plotty movie. I feel like rewatching it. Mm-hmm. I, it was almost like this thing of being like, I don't feel like Max was as directly responsible for the death of their friend. We're like, what a thing that I kept getting hung oh, sure. up on uh, is wait, it of, felt uh, of Knight Rider. Knight Rider, yeah. He's pretty responsible. He chases him down. He chases him down. I mean, look, Knight Rider made a few mistakes along the That's way. That's what I'm I, saying. That guy doesn't have a perfect Perfect bullet. guy. And I, liked, I like Knight Rider. I think he's cool. <laughs> I like his deal. I like his look. I just think, I don't like think Toe Cutter's getting being like, well, Knight Rider, he was, a, he was a bit of a hothead. You know, I mean, like, I think I understand why he doesn't like Max. Sure. They're going after no, him just, so hard. And they're not going after those two other dopey cops. But they, those guys are, that's their small potatoes. Yeah, I if I can right. just say one thing about Knight Rider. What's up? It's been said that he enjoys women almost as much as I do. Some of them are even on the younger side. No question about it. Knight Rider enjoys his social life. Get edging close to retiring that one, I feel like. It's, right? oh, it's, it's definitely edging. on deck. Yeah. 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 That's the next one. We're going to have to put that one on the retirement express. Yeah. Um, oh, you know what? Uh, some great vulture work. <laughs> sure. Great vulture work. Who is it? Jesse David Fox? Yeah, what is this? Hunter Harris? Over what are you here? talking about? Good to great vulture work. Allison Wilmore? <laughs> New hire. Jerry Saltz? What are we talking about? Well, I guess he's more mainline. New York Magazine. New York Magazine yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> vultures are fucked up. Yeah. It's a weird thing. Yeah. Like, that sucks that they exist. I guess well, so. It's it makes total scary. sense where it's like, well, I there's going to be everything dead things. About them scary. They're, they're, they are doing an important they're, job. Yeah, they're like garbage men, right? Yeah. They like clean up the sort of stuff we don't want to deal with. Yeah, but they look so scary. They do. That's the thing. They that's, look messed that's up. That's the thing. They look messed right. up and they're kind of the like funeral worker that's a, of It'd the be nature. one thing if they were like, just like seagulls where they just look around for garbage and they eat it. Yeah. But like the idea that they like will see something and be like, oh, what's this? And start circling around. And you're not even dead yet. I think their behaviors are really scary. Can I also say, and I don't know if this is specious of me, Mm. I think they are the most innately scary looking creatures. They're they're probably top 10. If you're just talking visuals. Yeah. They're top 10. They're designed. I just feel like there's, there must be other scary animals out there that I'm not thinking like, mm, you know, you're the angler fish, right? You know, you're, you're classic scary animals. Sure. Ted Kaczynski. (laughs) Stick bugs freak me out. Really? I mean, sti- you mean like a stick and like a little cute stick guy? He looks like a stick. I just don't like the Ben's idea of like, reaching you for a, a branch and it's a bug. Like but- Slim from A Bug's Life played by David Hyde Pierce? Um, sure, sort of that's a comical right. fop character. There's also a stick a stick insect in, in Doolittle. Oh, oh that movie. movie. He yeah. uses as like a spy character. Oh, fuck, I gotta go see Doolittle now. <laughs> Hold on, I just gotta check Doolittle showtimes. But vultures, yes, showing? were designed and involved over the years to eat dead or soon-to-be yeah. things. Yeah. Dead things. That's fucked. It's anyway, fucked. Great but, vulture work. Yeah. But great vulture work. Um, I don't know. What else, what else can we say about this? I mean, it's hard to talk Max about because it's so purely... When Toe Cutter gets run over by the truck, like, well, that yes. looks so fucking good. And yeah. that is the best For, thing. Like, it looks so good. But that's good. so much of it is like, this shit's real like it's yes. like yeah. they're putting rockets in the back of cars they're like driving everything at like 140 kilometers you know so uh but and they're and they're just crashing things yeah nothing looks better i'm just watching a clip of Toby. yeah nothing looks better than one mel gibson 
behind a wheel. Just with leather with gloves him, on. He belongs just there. Like, you know, just he that. Like, there. you know, yes. that, that's just sort of. Yeah. Um, just that close, any close up that, you know, know, like that always looks good. Yeah. The other thing that always looks good, wide open Australian landscapes. Yes, yes it know? does. Well, which this film is like all anamorphic That's the lenses. magic thing. It's, it was the first anamorphic film ever made in Australia. And I believe it is the only Australian film ever shot on the uh, Todd AO format. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And the secret is, uh, the getaway, is that what it's called? The Paul, the, uh, uh Peckinpah movie, the Sam Peckinpah yeah, movie yeah, yeah, that yeah, I think sure. was shot in Australia. Right. Um, he had shot that with those lenses and just left them. Sure. And they like bought them at like a fucking garage. Yeah. I mean, it was like, they had like outdated lenses that they were like jerry rigging to these cameras uh, that could barely fit on. But, but that was the sense they had of like, this is all about like a road, a straight line that can curve depending on where we place the camera and just like barren landscape as far as the eye can see everywhere around it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, him as as in Fury Road and Mad Max Two, and most like the he dies before the final. You know, Joey is actually Joe. John, sorry, Johnny the boy is the Johnny last the boy to is die. the final guy, uh, and that's Toe the Cutter moment dies first. when when his he's done. When it's yeah. not just that he's going to kill Johnny the boy, but that he's going to like psychologically torture him. He does the saw trick. It's crazy that Wan that's borrows. the end of the fucking movie, though. It's a pretty good end that he like drags a guy by a handcuff, chains him to a car. Right. And he's like, you have five minutes to saw through your leg. You know, he sets up the whole right. gasoline. Like, this is how long it's going to take yeah, yeah, for the yeah. fire to go off. This is how long it would take you to saw through the chain of the handcuff. Which, and this is how long it would take you to saw through your leg. Right. And Walks so, away. Explosion. Up, which you just End need, of movie. You need that satisfying explosion. The explosion. Very are big so explosion. Crazy. And the ending is also nothing will ever be the same. Yes. Like, that's what really, it's just what like. What if Mad Max 2 is just him being like, I'm glad I got all that out of my system. And he's very he's normal. he's at the therapy. <laughs> yeah, like, he's he's like, talking to a therapist. Anyway. Yeah, imagine was, watching this, like, when it comes out. And then going, next. like, they announce they're making Mad Max 2. And you're like, but what does this guy do next? Yeah. Like, you can't you can't make a movie where the guy has, know, like, already. like a road warrior or something. Yeah. Like. Uh, some other things. Brian May's score, very cool. Yes. Yeah. Weird, discordant yeah. kind of st- score. Right. Not Brian May from Queen, beautifully yeah. played by, I, I don't even know who played him. I don't, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I was going to make a terrible joke. Still yeah, haven't but, seen uh, it. Bo, Bo Rap? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was the um, best comedy of last year. <laughs> <laughs> Two years ago. Or was, was it, did Green Book win for drama and it for comedy? No. You know what, David? I'm, you are 100% uh, isn't correct. It, isn't it crazy? Bohemian Rhapsody won best drama That's and Green Book won the, best comedy. It was the double whammy of one that those were the two best films of the year yep. according to the Golden Globes, but two that they were weirdly like flopped in that way. Yeah. It's that crazy thing of like, it, it's crazy they didn't put A Star is Born in musical. Right. They put it in drama. It's crazy Judy didn't run as a musical. Right. I am actually, Jody. I'm going to just say Jody, 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 that I'm, I'm purposely not watching Green Book for the day that we decide to open the book. Well, my friend, by the time this episode comes out, we will be deep in March Madness. We'll know. Uh, there is, yeah. albeit a very March slim Madness chance. will be over, almost over. So right, yeah, right. that Peter fairly takes it to Maybe the Maybe it goes Oof. to like Marty Oof. versus Peter. Yeah. The two kings. It could happen. I mean, I'll say this. We used to talk about, like, I used to make the pitch for you of the Farrelly brothers, and you would go, I don't want to do that. Yeah. The fact Green that Book changed everything. Green Book right. makes it such a Because the Farrelly era. brothers, before, it was like, it ended at, like, Hall Pass or whatever. Right. We were like, all right. It ends at Dumb and Dumber 2. <laughs> but now it ends at Best Picture Winner Green Book. 
It's really more of a about. But there's so much though. more great work to come out too by Peter. I mean, I don't even think we should like we should he's maybe got, wait. He's got this movie coming out called Blue Book about <laughs> buying a car. I don't know. I feel like Red Book. It's a Mao biopic. What if he just but, kept with books? But it's like an Eskimo or like a, a Native American person from Alaska this time, oh, and he's connecting uh, like with an Italian American. I feel like he's announced up? his next thing, and it's he weird. He definitely announced something, but I don't know. But if I it also was, feel like it's maybe like he a might have been circling thing. something though. Yeah, I, I can't remember if he was actually confirmed. I interviewed him. He's a nice guy. Okay. Uh, well, I can't remember what. The oh was. well, you know, uh, and I guess I can't. No, there was a third gang, and I, I wasn't really supposed to talk about it, but I think enough time has gone on. It, well, I was in a Fight Club. You really shouldn't talk about that. You're not supposed to talk about <laughs> that. They say really. it twice. I implore uh, okay, you. Okay, cut that out. Okay, and damn it, actually keep it in triple it. Um, we um, can do the box office game with the Big Mama's house. We're movies. gonna do that. I'm just okay. trying to see if there's any other. Well, of course, there was the famously weird American version where they dubbed over oh, the yes. dialogue right. uh, that no one liked. That George Miller said he's never seen. It tanked in the U.S. Right. Um, they dubbed over like, oi, oi, with yeah. like, hey, you. Right. And like, I love Ronald Reagan. I don't know what they were saying. I don't know what they were saying. Uh, but Ro- uh, Village Roadshow uh, uh, sold it to Warner Brothers, uh, where they had one person distribution who was really, really bullish on it. Uh, botched it in the U.S., but um, sold it really hard in Japan, and it blew up there. And that's what sort of started the run of it being this, like, global crossover sensation. Because once Japan did well, and the posters are all so evocative for this yes. movie. I mean, they're, like, him in the weird cop leather the, with the, the helmet the in front of the yeah. car. And they would, like, tailor a new piece of graphic design for each country. And it sort of just did well everywhere uh, all non-English-speaking territories because in all English territories, they released this horrible fucking dub that is horrendous. I saw a clip of it. It's so fucking bad. I'm sure. Um, I mean, yeah. Why it's it also super weird to dub the English language. Yep. Yes, it is. <laughs> it um, is. It's weird. But it's super weird and it became one of the most profitable movies of all time. The weirdest thing is that at the Australian like Film Institute Awards mm-hmm. that year, they didn't even nominate... Oh, I was going to say they didn't even nominate Mel Gibson, but he actually won for a different movie called Tim. Wow. Which is 100% the Oscar bait movie. Yeah. A mentally handicapped 12 year, 20 year old works as a laborer. Like, wow. like they were like, yeah, Mad Max was pretty good. Right. But like, oh, Tim, you were Tim. so moving as <laughs> Tim. Yeah. By the way, our next mini series is Tim. It's just, just that. Talking Tim. Tim Piper Laurie, Mel Gibson. Wow. All right. So there's no box office for this movie, partly because it was barely released in America yeah. anyway, but also because that's from a long time ago. But we do have to talk about February 18th, 2011, which is when Big Mama. So you specifically want to do the third one? Yeah, we have to. February 18th, 2011. Yeah, when Big right Mama's colon, birthday. like ma- like mama, like, like father, like yeah. son. Yeah. Uh, debuted number five at the box office with a $16 million opening weekend. Five at 16. Five, and it's one of three big openers that week. So everything just did okay. Because what is it enough? It's a classic February where it's like 20, 19, 18, 16, 20, you know, like everything's making kind of the same amount of money. Does it end up at like 50 or does it? Oh, I don't think it multiplied like that. No, it ended up at 37. It was a two multiplier. Like in the old, the numbers, which I do appreciate, has the sort of shading for like, this is where you would want to end up. It's a little below. Yeah. 
Um, but do they, is this like a four day weekend? Is this a President's Day weekend? Or am I wrong on the time? If it is, which it might be, okay, it's you not don't showing have it. me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's number five. It is. It is. But number one that What week, if we do it reverse order? Let's just fine, throw let's out go the rules. Up. Let's go yeah. up. All right. Number four was number one the week before. Oh, wow. And is a Tricky. comedy with a big comedy star. A comedy with a big comedy star. Yeah. And it's 20. One of his last big, just down the middle, I'm in a movie. Is it just go with it? Correct. Yeah. Amazing that you got the movie as well as the star. I I I figured you would get Sandler That was the swing I wanted to take. I was like, I could ask if it's Sandler, but I'd rather just go I just love that he released a movie that's just like, oh, just go with it. It's me, Jennifer Aniston, we're on vacation or whatever. Who cares? It's it's an adaptation of a French play that was seriously adapted into Cactus Flower. She has to pretend to be his wife. She's his co-worker, right? Like there's a whole flim flam, right? Brooklyn Decker is in it. Brooklyn Decker is playing the Goldie Hawk role that won Goldie Hawn an Oscar. Did Brooklyn Decker win an Oscar? She did. Okay, good for her. Yeah. And can you give me the final? She won a technical award in the Academy Science <laughs> Ceremony. Can you give me the final domestic total? It was like 105. 103. Right? Yeah. It's like his last hundred million dollar gross. It's sort of the end of it. But hey, when Jennifer Aniston won a SAG award last night, she shouted him out on stage. He's got magic. I've seen up close. And right. isn't she doing mystery, murder mystery I think th- she, two, two, I think three, so. four? They've got to do them all. Hey, I'm excited. they got to do all the I mysteries. hope they announce an Avatar style. Like we're, <laughs> we're pushing two back because we're going to shoot five sequels at the same But I also want it to be like the first one he's investigating some fictional. I want him to do like Zodiac, right? <laughs> Fucking the Lindbergh baby. Get into all of them. All those people, that weird thing in the dialogue of past incident in Russia where all those people died and no one knows why, he'll figure it out. Detective Mysteries on the case. Hey, Zodiac. I can't do Sandler. Zodiac. I just wanted to say tonight I'm excited to go in to see a live reading of Grown Ups 3. Yeah. It says there's a special surprise guest. I mean, I guess everyone will know by the time this episode comes out, but I kind of wonder if Sandler's going to show up. I mean, that would be crazy, but we'll find out. I don't know. All right, so. I mean, he's doing the New York and the LA one. Yeah. I'm curious. Maybe Number it'll be Spade. Oh, fingers crossed. Oh, you love, you love, love Spade. Spade. Yeah. yeah, he's sure. Yeah. Uh, number three at the box office okay. had been number three the week, weekend before. It's an animated oh, film. Oh, it's Holden Steady at number three. Holden Steady, is an animated it? film. Uh, this has come up. Weird. It's come up a lot. Yeah. This film has come up a lot. lot. Sure. Of course. Well, it's an important work of the decade. Nomeo and Julia? Exactly. It's about a little <laughs> adventure going a long way. <laughs> Do you like that I got it off of those clues? This is a vile poster. I've never even seen this one. Oh, he's showing his little tushy. <laughs> and what's the tagline? A, a gnome is turned around. He's leaning over. He's showing you a little plumber's plumber's crack, and it says, it'll crack you up. David, do you know the final domestic total on Nomeo and Julia? Uh, $400 billion. No, I don't know. I think it will shock you. I can look you. it up for it. 99. It didn't make 100, though. But so close. Didn't crack the hundo. If you read, I think I've talked about this before, but look up interviews with Elton John about Nomeo and Julia because he spent We've talked 10 about years talked about this. And he's just like, those fuckers told me I was dumb for making my no movie and they all had to eat my fucking shit. So here's the other 99 thing. domestic here's in January, you assholes. All right, here's the other thing. <laughs> Big, huge hit. Sonic just released uh, some character posters. Obviously, you have a Sonic poster. Of course. You have a Robotnik poster. Of course. A James Marsden poster. Officer Human. No. He's credited as Donut Lord. Oh, I guess because he probably does donuts. But then this is the one I'm most excited about. The Tika Sumter poster. (laughs) Maddie. Just a name. 
It's just her name. I might get that poster on my wall because it also doesn't say Sonic anywhere on it. It's it just doesn't. A it just says Maddie. Of Tika Sumter, a in a fine jean actor, jacket, a very fine good actress. actor. And just says coming soon. It has no Sonic branding whatsoever. What is Sonic like? Is so I saw, I, I saw the uh, the trailer and I mm. I feel like Sonic's fast. Right? He's gotta go fast. He's yeah, yeah. Fast. And he, he simply must go fast. And the the funny thing <laughs> about no it, but to go fast. The funny. <laughs> But the funny thing is, is yes. that he'll, you'll be, something will be happening and yeah. then he'll go and yeah. do that thing very quickly. Ben, I got to give you a key piece of advice here. Mm, what's up? Do not leave your rings around unattended oh, when Sonic is boy. in town. Okay? okay. Okay. I'm writing it down. Oh, also, he'll, take okay. him, he'll take him in the blink of an eye. Also, if you have one of those, and we all do sort of TV shaped boxes yes. that if you touch it, it turns you invincible for 10 to 15 seconds. Yeah, of course. You better hide that away. Because oh, he will jump geez. on top of it. Because okay. we all have one of those and we're saving it for when we really need it. Right, but right. he will just he'll go just and use it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rude. And that's a one time use item. Yes, yeah. it is. Unless you can find another one. Yes. And don't even talk to me if you have any chaos emeralds because then you're really in trouble Here, here's another hot tip uh-huh if you if you like in your backyard sure. and we're city boys but i'm talking more people living in the well, suburbs i've got a backyard where you bury my jeans sure go on you might want to tend to your green rolling hills all right because if your grass is out of control it might catch on fire oh geez that's true number two at the box office should have been number four at the box office that's a clue it's a fourth movie in a franchise no Number two should have been number four. Been the number fuck four. does this mean? This is a, I believe. And does this joke make sense to you? Looking at yeah. the name of the oh, movie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The joke tracks. Okay. It's take it more literally. You believe, David? Yeah. No, what were you gonna four. say? You said I oh, believe. I, it, it was released by Disney. I think it was one of those leftover DreamWorks movies that got released by Disney, but it was released by Disney. Which strange. is just funny to think about. It's not Strange Magic. No. Which was a Lucasfilm acquisition film. Right. It's a leftover DreamWorks. It's number two, but it should have been number four. Should have been number four. Should have been number four? Should be opening a number four, yeah. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. This thing. All right, uh, let's see. So does it, it have four in the title anywhere? It does. But it's not a fourth film in a franchise. Oh. Which might have heard it, honestly. People might have been a little baffled by that. Oh, it's this fucking movie. Yes. I am number four. That's right. Yeah. He is number four. Written by. Well, idea by James Frey, right? That someone else wrote. James Frey, hot off of lying about his drug addiction. Yeah, right. Started yeah. this weird company where he would like he, hire. It was like a boiler room for young adult novels. Right. He would yeah. like hire like English graduates and we're like all day sit here, chained to this desk, come up with young adult concepts. And people would be like, I don't know. It's an alien in high school. Right, it's a right. wizard who also fucks a mermaid, uh, but they're in high school. But there's some, the title and the, is, the idea was they'll come up with the concept. We'll ghost write the book. All the books will be released under pseudonyms. I will collect 60% of the, of the profits from anything that comes out of my and incubator. And then everything's meant to be a franchise. And this was the one thing that came out of it and it bombed and no one gave a shit. Right. Uh, here's the tagline. There were nine of us. Three are dead. I am number four. Yeah. I, I, Where I'm just like, okay. Audition for that movie. Mm. And that's where number four was almost incomprehensible. Uh, well, You're just like, what's the fucking hook here? It's about a guy who's number four. He's so, an alien. Uh, yeah, that's right. He has like blue hands or something. Yeah. It's one of those classic orange blue posters yep. where it's just like, I don't know, make it and, orange and blue. I mean, when are we going 
to meet aliens? When am I really? Not we. When am Honestly, I? Probably by the time this episode comes out. <sighs> yeah, I'm yeah, ready for March, it. Marchish. Yeah. All right. That's a, it's weird that the world is so crazy that no one talks about the fact that the New York Times has released like eight articles oh, in the last I know, year. They're just like Navy saw some more aliens. Here's the video for you yeah. to enjoy. And everyone's just like, but Trump, right. is he a good or a bad president? Can right. we weigh in on this? Those stories are more? like, just to be clear. The government, you know, those people the government that we always is acknowledging seeing, you know, things. we always thought like maybe the government's lying to us about aliens. New York times publishes government. Yeah. We were lying about aliens. We've seen them. They're out there. And people are like, but Pete Davidson, who is he dating now? <laughs> well, he's got a big one. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm so absolutely <laughs> talking about the king of Staten Island. All right. Number one at the box office. <laughs> number one at the box office. Uh, in 2011, please go ahead. Small fines getting something out of us. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah, know it's if good. it's cat it's allergies good. or what. But <laughs> Clara didn't help me. I don't. I, don't, I took a zip. No, yeah, yeah. So okay. I'm um, sorry. Number two at the box office. Number what? Number, number one. Two is I am number four. Oh, Confusingly enough. Yeah. Number one is another new movie. Um, it's an action film. It is, I believe, the first in a yes. I was gonna say you said that was like a DreamWorks, like Disney dump. Mm-hmm. You have to remember, this is the year that Avengers, no, their first release, comes it, out? No, it's the year before. Oh, it's correct. 2011. Disney at this point. That's what I'm saying. Really wants that That's movie what to I'm work. saying. That's what I'm Three saying. Three picture deal. Like, forget. they're like, wasn't that long that ago? Yeah. But anyway. Number, so this is the first collaboration of, I think, three or, no, but a four between this director and actor who become like sort of a fun Action so it's movie a, it's pair. A, it's, it, yeah, of course, it's a uh, Wahlberg squared. No, it's, not. it's not Berg and Wahlberg? No. It's a much better pair. And they worked together four, four times? Four times. And this is the first one? The first. They've worked together four times in the last nine years. Correct. Who puts out action movies at that kind of a clip? Is it Liam Neeson? That's right. Is Liam it my favorite Jome, one? of course. Nonstop? No, that is also my favorite one, but that was their second collabo. I believe this is the worst one. Oh, this one. is the worst one. Mm-hmm. This is unknown. Yes. Which is bad. And this is only coming out like a year or two after Taken. Never even heard of this. It's like one of those things where like Liam Neeson goes to Berlin or something and then his wife disappears and everyone's like, you never had a wife. Like yeah. there's some weird sort of it's, like. It's you know, a gaslit thing. He's like, I'm going to have to punch everyone yeah. to figure this one out. <laughs> only one solution this. here. <laughs> The problem with Unknown is it was like Taken caught everyone by surprise. Yeah. And Warner Brothers was like, oh, let's put him in like a big budget, more serious thriller. Uh, and it's right, the right, most right, right, right. serious minded. It's the one that doesn't get that it should just be fun. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. And then they're just like, it's it trashy. Just be like, Who is he? A washed right. up guy. Where right. is he? A, a piece of transportation. <laughs> A thing that moves through the earth. Nonstop has my favorite fucking monologue, which is like he's figured out how to save the day, but no one believes him because they framed him. And like uh, all the JetBlue TV screens are showing like news broadcasts about his shitty past. And he gets up in this airplane that can barely fit him. And he's like, everything you've heard about me is true. I'm a terrible father. I was a lousy husband. I'm an awful drunk. I shot four men. Like, he just lists every bad thing he's done. I remember. I remember. I've been delinquent on my taxes. I I don't tip that well. I still have tapes from Blockbuster, even though my local store was one of the first to go. But I'm the only person who can save you. Like, it just goes on for so long. Yeah, yeah. I remember. 
Great movie. That's my favorite. I'm always late to birthday parties. I think that it's for me, it's nonstop. The best. And then the commuter. I like the commuter. And then yeah. run all night, which is good, but it's a little shaggier. Yeah. It's a wild movie. Yeah. Um, has the least Neeson in a weird way. It keeps cutting to all these other people and you're kind of like, oh, I care about Neeson. I'm your brother. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm and your then, brother Nolte. And then, um, and then unknown of the four. Neeson, yes, we are. <laughs> the four Neeson. Remember when we had the same parents? Of course, mom and dad. I mean, they're both tall. <laughs> I'll give them that. Right. I, I, the degree to which I pump my fist at the reveal of Nolte being his brother in that movie. It makes such beautiful nonsense, but it's it's so perfect. Right, right. Yeah, I I never saw Cold Pursuit. I feel like I need to watch it. It was just so marred by him coming out and being not a like, bad movie. Really? No, it doesn't have the Jean Claude yeah. magic, but not a bad movie at all. Yeah, it looked pretty yeah. fun. I liked it. It was fine. I I love my nieces. I mean, I also I feel like what I'll say about Cold Pursuit is it feels like there's a new trope in action from. John Wick, mm-hmm. which is like the fucking slickest, sexiest mercenaries you've ever met. Sure. Where like, I always feel like my memory of thugs from action movies yeah. where they were like big, hairy, ugly dudes. Yeah. Right, right. Right. Or then like over the top sexualized women. And I feel like now it's this thing where every guy looks like he reads GQ magazine sure. and it's just like. The, like the hottest fucking dude in the world. Which it's my favorite thing about the Neeson movies is that he is so big that he can barely move. Right. Like he is not swift. He Come is not elegant. Here. I'll see you in five minutes. Yeah. Well, then they put him in a puffy jacket. You should see him in oh, this movie. Boy. Looks like a big loaf man. Love it. Yeah. What's I look Neeson like do? bread. Remember when he was in Men in Black International? Of course, Haiti. I'm just trying to see what else he's up to recently. Yeah, I don't know. Is, does Did he, he say is, anything he just, like recently? Uh, no, but it was like Men in Black and Cold Pursuit were the two things that came out right after his like whole like what a codger. What was that? The weapon? A kosh. A kosh. Right. He had this movie called Ordinary Love, which with Leslie Manville, right. which is like a sort of sad, uh, like maybe someone's dying movie. There was a tiff. So that's coming out this year. But I also feel like they're like, we're not going to let him do press ever again. Well, he's got three movies coming out oh ne- next year, okay, give uh, this year. Give them to me. One's called Honest Thief, in which him and Jai Courtney. The only other thing I've ever been honest about Robert is Patrick being a thief. is in it. Yeah. Like, I swear uh, to God. He tries I stole to your turn belongings. himself in because he's falling in love, but he wants to live an honest life, but he realizes the feds are more corrupt than him. And I'm like, I, just 10 tickets, wow. please. <laughs> like, you know, huh, something. Sounds- tight as hell something called the Minuteman, oh, which is boy. a rancher on the borders is has to take down some cartel assassins because a mexican boy is being chased my crops are bad this year <laughs> which is from robert Simple lorenz man. which is you know uh, the oh. guy the guy who made trouble with the curve one of the eastward yeah. disciples yeah and then something called main made in italy which that's like that's a drama that's not a oh, he's okay. not gonna kill anyone but that could that could yeah. be an action movie. I'm gonna chase you down on these fine Italian loafers. Um, but doesn't that sound what's it called? Honest thief? He's an honest thief. The it's, thing I love I mean, about Widows, I mean, I love so much about it, uh, is that a subplot in that movie is that she married a Liam Neeson character from a like a January thriller. Like she's like, I was living a great life, and it turned out my my husband was Liam Neeson in Run All Night. He's so good in that. He is. He is. He's great in it. Yeah. Great movie. Well, of course, this has been our episode on Mad Max. Great episode. Ooh, a little static. Fun. Mad. 
Mad fun. Mad fun. Mad fun. Mad fun. And guys, well, wait, let me double check. Make sure there's nothing in the way. Yeah, there's no Uh, no pop-ups. Yeah, there's no pop-ups. Next week, Mad Max 2, The Mm. Road Warrior, with special guest John Gabrus. In the can. In the can. Get excited. Get excited. Yeah. Get Um, excited for George Miller. Yeah. We're finally doing him. It's a wild run. And it's nice to be back in a franchise, too. I know it's a very different type of franchise. Yeah. Very different type. But yeah. You know, but yeah. it's nice to spend, like, extended time in one universe. It's nostalgic. Right, right, right. And thanks you all for- Thanks you for all for listening. listening. Thanks you all for listening. Thanks to Andrew Gouda for our social media. Thanks to Rachel Jacobs for editing. Thanks to Joe Bowen, Pat Rounds for our artwork, Liam Montgomery for our theme song. Go to- Blankcheck.com slash Patreon to become a checkmate. Of course. As one should. As one should. As one should. Uh, enjoy. Uh, I hope you enjoy this this Fury Road. We're going to take you down for the next uh, two months and change. Uh, and as always, mm. realistically, do you think Liam Neeson or Pete Davidson has a bigger penis? Neeson. I think so too, yeah. right? He's just he's got the height. Right? I didn't. Have you seen Pushing Tim? No. It's the, I think I saw like half an hour of it. On what TV does that even mean? Is it's that a, a phrase? Air traffic like, controllers. That's what air like traffic controllers Tim down the runway. Yeah. I hate that. Well, that's what they call it. That's too casual for me. Planes well, are serious. Well, I agree with you, but they, you know, they do that. They gotta have a little fun. Never. Because Pushing Tin is about like John Cusack's a regular air traffic controller. He's like, beep, 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 you're clear for takeoff. And then Billy Bob Thornton's like, howdy, cowboys. I'm the cowboy air traffic controller. Who's a cowboy? But it's the movie. How do you know he's a cowboy? He's like, howdy. <laughs> I don't know. It's the movie where Angelina Jolie and Billy Bob Thornton meet. Yes. And that was the only reason I ever thought of that movie. And then I found out the other day. It is written by the Charles brothers. Yeah. Who are the creators of Cheers and the main writers on Taxi. And it's the only movie they ever wrote. I think they also- Those are the only three things they ever did. I think they had written it years ago or something. Like it was like a script someone picked up. And is it Mike Newell? Yeah. I'm like, do I need to- what? Does Pushington well, slap? Well, John Cusack plays a guy called Nick Falzone. Fuck, it does But you know what his nickname is? The Zone. That's kind of good. And maybe he likes Calzones too. 